0: Like, yeah, Cause you
1: see people that people are, are talking about identity right now, identity in Christ identity. In, and, and every time I think I look at it and think, I don't think you know what that word means. I don't think you are identifying what the word means uh, properly when, when people say, well, you've got to get your identity in Christ. And, uh, I, and I keep thinking, you guys are you guys are all existentialists. That you're trying to get your identity in Christ the same way that existentialists tried to create themselves an identity through a an act of the will. Um, okay. And uh, interesting. And I but and I think most people just don't realize or they don't they don't actually have the biblical categories for identity. And so they end up trying to to discover an individualistic self awareness of a uh, of a an identity in Christ through some sort of act of the will, which is the the existentialist way of talking about identity you know and then so th- so i'm th- I'm having these thoughts and wondering what's going on, and then all of a sudden somebody drops something about the Christian the deconstruction of Christianity movement, all these people deconstructing. And I yeah. was like, that literally is the existentialist um, movement, right? The, so the existentialist deconstructionist movement, I think is, is just finally hitting American evangelical Christianity.
0: Okay. So, um, befo- so and, then what uh, is, what is acting like?
1: Oh, it's this new exciting thing. So, Um, And so then I thought, we actually have to, but it's not enough to point out what's wrong, right? And that's always been something that, or that's been a, a growing conviction of mine. It's not enough to point out what's wrong. We have to actually say, here's the positive vision for identity or a positive vision for what a definition of identity in Christ is. If it's not that, what is it? And I don't want to start talking about, well, it's not that until I know what it is. And so I've been working on that for the last couple of weeks.
0: But so then, but okay. So uh, there's a couple questions I automatically think about when you're talking about this, which is there's two things. What is it that you think people are meaning when they say they find their, their, we got to find our identity in Christ or they talk about identity. That's one thing. And when you say existentialism, what what do you mean by existentialism?
1: Yeah, so the, the, so, I mean, we'll just, we'll go backwards on that. one. So existentialism was a, a movement, um, it sort of began with, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, a, a Christian, uh, in the Netherlands and he's we're going to have to is, do that we're going to have to do Kierkegaard
0: now <laughs> Who's kierkegaard yeah.
1: well we we should but he's so he's this he's this really he's really fun to read um and, and but what it is is as the as the um as the european church starts accepting the um some of the fundamental assumptions of the enlightenment soren kierkegaard is sort of this prophetic figure that steps up and says you know where this leads though right right you get where this leads so you begin um the it the the enlightenment begins by promising a neutral ground on which we can discuss right that yeah. and um uh, the the secularism is an is a neutral ground on which we can discuss and um and that uh, that we can put God in the dock, so to speak. We can put God, so God no longer is the judge, but He becomes the one being judged, right? So we we so that there are categories above God of moral categories of goodness that are above God, and we can judge God according to these categories, right? That's that's kind of and the, and um, a lot of Christians are like. Well, yeah, we can, we can do that and God will, I'm sure God will pass the test. Right? Mm. And so Soren, Soren Kierkegaard, he's like if if this is the case though, let let's run this out, right? And so he's he starts and he's he he's a very passionate Christian. He's he's got he's funny to read. He's got a very um he's very prophetic in in many, many of his The ways he talks, he's got a. He he talks about the preaching in um, the the preaching in his hometown. He visits a bunch of the churches, and he said these pastors. They they deal with commentaries the, the way um, I used to deal with books as a child when I would stuff my pants to avoid getting a spanking. Oh! Said they, they read their commentaries and they 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 stuff their pants so that the Bible can't spank them. Oh! Um, it's a really funny,
0: Kierkegaard. It is. They, they, so
1: yeah he, yeah. He, so it's really he's really funny. He's really good. But one of the things that he does is he points out. So if if we if we end up with this with a god who is so completely in the noumenal realm like Kant talks about so completely another kind of thing and we don't that his will is so far above our will um that really uh it's it, it it doesn't come down to a simple morality it comes down to an act of the will for why it is that god loves us why it doesn't flow out of god um it, so in that in that Setting in that philosophical setting of the Enlightenment, you no longer get the love of God flowing out of His essence. Right, the love of God is a choice that God is making, Mm. and so um, it's no, there's no, no, you lose that objective, uh, the the objective uh, morality that is based on the character of God, right? And it becomes uh, there, there, there becomes this question of since there's nothing above God and God it, it's God's will that decides right and wrong. Right. And so he's got this, this really, it's a fairly, it's a moving reflection on Abraham, um, uh, Abraham being called to sacrifice Isaac, where he says, what do we do with this passage? If God is pure, if God's will is above his morality, mm. right? What, and and so he it's there's and but what happens is you, you get this kind of dislodgement of the uh it's the beginning of that uh trying to respond to the dislodgement of people from a an ordered universe that makes sense Gnosticism, right so you no right. longer have this ordered universe that makes sense right well so he hasn't quite he, the, it, this is him trying to sort of fend off and hold off a of Gnosticism because he sees that's the direction where he, right. or he he sees that we don't fit. And so he just says, if, if there is a something that doesn't fit, then what we need to do is actually rest and trust in God in the unfittingness, right? That's so that's Kierkegaard. He's trying to say, well, what does faith look like then? And deciding, to rest in spite of not not knowing or or being confident that there's a place where we fit. So there's this so that's that unfittingness kind of kicks off what or you you have a sort of a secular running out of well you're right if we don't fit um, then then there's a dislodgement or a you know we don't there's not a place for humanity anymore. So, um, and so existentialism runs with that. There's not a place for humanity anymore. There's no place where we fit, but Kierkegaard, he's, he says, well, then the only solution is that God is doing something above what we can, Mm. uh, above our imaginations, Mm. right? God must be doing something above our imaginations, but what's actually happening if you, in kind of the history of thought is the imagination of the people is being reformed into a new shape, is and people are being rethought, people are being re-understood or understood to be something different than what they were, and the created order is coming to be understood as something different than what they were. Uh, because it's right at this, you, you have what what's going on in biology at this time um, is you've got, That people are beginning to be seen as a creature within the biological spectrum solely. Right? People are just one more aspect of the biological chain of being, Um, and that's the that's the phrase they're using. The word they're beginning to use is "there's this biological chain of being," and humans fit over here. um, uh, they, They fit over here with the monkeys and the apes and right so this is all going on long before darwin people are being placed they're they're saying well where do people fit well they fit over here with the primates right that becomes a powerful powerful new way of imagining people and so they start saying well they start worrying about um where where do where am i on the na- nature on the scheme of nature, where where do I fit? How does me being a primate affect the way that my I act? And and am I am I wor- uh, So they start talking about you know the you've got this um, deep lizard reptile brain, and then you've got a primate brain, and then you've got your frontal lobe. That um, and so within your brain, you've got these different different animal natures and what humans are is the combination of all of the biological natures in one being right and so um,
0: this is before evolution though right the
1: imagination, this is this is, this this is be, long way, before it this before, is long this is long hmm. before evolution right so so all that darwin brings is a mechanism by which you can move up and down the chain of biological being the biological chain of being he just provides a mechanism they had already come to believe in the biological chain of being right so it, it was 100 years before Darwin, the, the guy that invented race, um, was, he died in seventeen seventeen fifty, 1750, right? So, um, he, he says, you know, there, there's the, uh, four races, white man, yellow man, red man, black man.
0: Yeah. I mean, we talked about right? that.
1: So, uh, yeah, so, so he, so he, this is all, this is all suddenly pressing in on the imagination of, of people and Christians. Um, are trying to figure out how to respond to it. Um, but it it seems to make so much sense to everyone. So Kierkegaard's response is, well, God is just doing something above and beyond our imagination. Now, because there's something true about that, it takes off, right? If you can fit God into your head, then I- any God that fits into your head is a God that came out of your head in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so he's he's saying there's this high mystery above it all. Um, that he has God's will, right? And so it's it, it's a sort of um, replanted Calvinism, where he takes Calvinism out of the covenantal understanding of a fitting universe that God created for man to be lord over and that he fits into, and he drops him into this new setting where man doesn't fit. And so now the inscrutable will of God becomes um, a oh, wow. lens by which you see through, yeah. rather than an answer to some of the some of the mysteries, right? So, and Jason, um, so is but, he is know, he
0: doing the same thing? He's trying to avoid as well.
1: Well, so that- he, well, yeah, he he is right. He it's not it, it's not an answer that eventually works, right? But if you put him into his context, it's an answer. You can see how it's it's an answer. It's a an answer. That is trying to be faithful, but that, but doesn't actually see the, the foundational problem, right? That the right. problem is one step below what he sees. Um, and this is, so I, I, I find guys like Kierkegaard really helpful because he, it may, it, he's, he's the one that made me realize, oh dang, you can be faithful and wrong. Right. Because you didn't ask the next question, right? You didn't. <sighs> Right. You didn't ask the next question down where you you look at the you look at the question that the world is answer asking and you say, OK, I'm go- Here's the answer that here's the answer that my theology gives to the question the world is is asking. But he never said what how do I form my question according to the scriptures? How, how do I submit what question I should be asking? to the scriptures as well, right? So you can submit your answers to the scriptures without ever submitting your questions to the scriptures. And I think that's what Kierkegaard is doing, um, which is why he's so, he, he continues, I think, to, you know, every 20, 30 years, you, some some writer discovers Kierkegaard and it's like, oh my gosh, I found it, right? And they and you get a book um, published here and there, where people are like, Kierkegaard has all these amazing answers. But it, what's happening is we are still actually answering a lot, of, asking a lot of the same questions, or the world is asking the same questions. So, Kierkegaard, the church um, so, lets the world define some of our questions rather so, than the scriptures defining our questions.
0: So unintentionally, though, it sounds like from what you're telling me is Kierkegaard ends up displacing man because he really displaces kind of... God at this what he does is displaces, um, yeah, displaces God to the point where God and man don't yeah. have a way to really communicate. You know, there's no connection between the two, right?
1: Yeah. Well, they the, the Kierkegaard is answering the question of now that God is to is displaced. Yeah. Yeah. How do we remain faithful? Right? right. So he, he's not the one philosophically that's displacing. Right. Right. He, right. But, um, you know, he he's he is he's witty, funny, intelligent, well read, and trying to answer the world's questions. Um, <clears throat> but if if because after <clears throat> they have displaced God,
0: but if this is something that God does, then you're getting away from who He is, right? The the actual right, flow yes, of who exactly. He so is,
1: they, and that's that separation. Yeah, and and this was this was the point that uh, Dr. Price was making where the will and the essence of God end up separated. Uh Right. In the uh right. As leading into the enlightenment, you get the will and um, the the will and the essence of God competing for supremacy.
0: Right. That makes sense. Yeah. The
1: competition for supremacy between the will and the essence of God, um, the will wins out in the, in the enlightenment thread. Okay. Right. It pure power. uh, answers to the conference. Pure power, right? And and Kierkegaard says, well, if God is pure power, then it's only by faith that we see that He is love, mm. right? That we can see that He's power, but by faith we can also believe that He is love. Mm. Um, that oh the, the, man, I uh, do that. You know what's so, so funny
0: is that what you just said there and what you just said earlier. I find myself. Doing that unintentionally with answers sometimes. Like that is so good because mm-hmm. what I'll do is I'll say, Well, I'll embrace all of your question and answer and and I'll raise you, even if that was the case, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and still say, But God is right. still this type of way instead yeah. of And so I'll assume all their position and try and win the argument almost really with their own um positioning.
1: Yeah. I so I Not too long ago, I was out to lunch with somebody who was like, I'm just struggling, trying to figure out how to understand their life. They're going through something tough, understand their life in and saying, I don't think I believe that God can exist anymore. Right. And he said, give me an argument for God's existence. Right. And that's what they asked for. And we were eating French fries. And I said, you've got an argument in your hand.
2: Mm-hmm. Right?
1: You've got a deep fried potato covered in salt. That is the most delicious thing on the planet. Right. How If you, if you don't see how that French fry is an argument for God's existence, then there's nothing that I can add to it. I can't because I can't answer that question that you're actually asking
2: for. Mm. You're
1: asking me to put God in the, in the judgment seat But I, but I, I'm the one in the judgment seat. And so you're asking me to switch places with God by giving that argument. Right. And he was like, I don't see it. And I said, pray that God shows it to you. Right. Now there are arguments that we can have arguments about the logical, logical consistency and logical requirements and logical necessity. There's, but that wasn't what this person was asking for. Right. Right. They were saying, um, they were asking f- to put God in the box, uh, in the, put God in the dock, and and judge and let and help, and for me to defend Him, right, for me to defend God. Uh, but that is uh, there's a right, the the but the word He God already gave the world. That is the defense, like the beauty of the world, is the defense of. God, yeah. right? The, yeah.
0: the the heavens, um, the right?
1: history of the world, he, yeah. The heavens declare the glory of God. We don't. Right. That's not actually what we do. Um, and so there are times now. Now, it, it, if if you've got somebody who is so, I, I, sometimes somebody is coming with just honest questions, right? Right. But if it's not an honest question, if it is, um, then there's a sense in which our primary job is to say. Well, no, you've got your metaphysic flipped. We don't... That's not... We, um, we're we not Pontius Pilate. Right. We don't get to put God in the dock and judge him.
0: Yeah, and Pontius, Pontius Pilate like wasn't Pontius so it Pilate. It doesn't work <laughs> yeah, so, Okay, so then... I'm still trying... What would be the easiest... Give me a one-sentence definition of existentialism.
1: Okay, so existentialism um is a movement that tried to answer the displacement of of people from a fitting universe right and so different existentialists gave different answers but it's it, it's a movement that grew out of that realization that if the world if if we accept the new enlightenment and modernist definitions of the world, then man doesn't fit here anymore. Right? And so the diff, the uh, that's the existentialist argument. So you've got people, you know, you, you have, um, if man is purely a biological creature, right, and we just fit right there onto the biological spectrum and that's who we are, there's two responses to it, right? You get guys like B.F. Skinner who say, there isn't really any freedom. We are just instinctual creatures and your mind, your will is all an illusion, right? Mm. We're just like the difference between a flea and, and you is just size and complexity, right? You're just a, you're just a more complex version of a germ um, or a plant even. Right. So if you, if, if you have ever seen those stop motion footage of, of a, flower throughout the day you watch the flower move with the sun and continue to stretch for the sun and the um enlightenment says well that the same way that flower just responds to the sun it just it just moves with it because it's it moves with the sun that's how it fly, what flowers do you're just that just a little more complex
0: right so it's um, where you are on the chain of things and you're just a little higher. Where
1: level. where you are on the chain of things has to do with complexity, but by nature, we're all the same, right? We're all just a part of the, the, the one biological monolithic existence. Um, you're just a piece in it, right? It's just like if you were a cell or if you'd pull out one of your cells uh, and, you know, set it on the table and say, um, what, what's this cell's essence where, well, you say, well, it's just a, it's just a part of me, right? Well, people in that Mm. setting are just a part of the biological monad, right? And, and they don't exist on their own and have their own essence. They are, they are part of this monadic unity, this one, one thing, right? Just this, the giant, physical existence they're just a part of it and all they do is react accordingly right there's no they, <laughs> yeah. they respond accordingly there's no free will and so um so you've got that that side of it right That that's the the um monadic response the existentialists were not comfortable with that right so they said no except we don't fit we don't just fit into a modatic unity, and how do how I know that is because of my self awareness. I'm aware of myself, right? A flower is not aware of itself. Now, that's just an assumption, right? We don't know if a flower is aware of itself. We don't know if a tree is aware of itself. Where we don't have access to any of that information. But on that by on that system, the, the 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 systematic assumption is that. Um, in a biological monadic unity, um, the mind of man has no place, right? Mm. Because and so that's why you get the existentialists um, giving answers to the self they're, uh, they're constantly giving answers to self awareness. Like, except for I'm self aware, and and my self awareness doesn't have a place in that biological unity. I don't. So who am I if there is no God? Then I am I am a clown in this circus, right? Because because I can think myself into an objective position and look at myself, right? Right. Um And so we talked a little bit about uh, Heidegger's discussion of being a a a, a priest of the nothing, uh-huh. right? Because yeah. our mind. So he this is an existentialist type of answer. Our mind says, "Well, then I can." i could actually step outside of just my simple biology and think about myself i can but if there is nothing there then my mind is actually stepping into nothingness and from that position of nothingness it is be it is a priest that is uh, mediating the nothingness uh that isn't there right so that so he says which is why that our that we are so anxious, right? That the human experience is, is anxiety. That's what sets us apart from a, you know, a, a pig or a cow or right. right? cows don't have anxiety. Right. So what is, what does it mean to be human? Well, to have anxiety. And so, um, what we're, th- what our goal is then is to find solutions for the anxiety. Right. Hmm. And, and so they said, which is why we choose to act And that action creates our identity, and that identity provides a fitting place for our self awareness to sit.
0: Okay, so this is starting to, one way or another, blend into Freudianism or the ego. Yeah. So
1: yeah. So so Freud Freud is trying to he's trying to give a he's trying to give an answer for why there's self-awareness within the biological monad, right? Mm. Within the biological oneness. Freud says, well, because cause they all cause they're not a lot of these men are are not dumb. Right? They're they they're intelligently trying to work out if the their assumptions. Right. And so um
0: but they're, they're insane. Freud says
1: why is it that you, they are they're completely insane because of their assumptions, but there's a difference between dumb and insane
0: that's, true. that's right?
1: true you could have really really intelligent insane people um I mean you see this sometimes with people that have crazy worked out conspiracy theories yeah where you're like you are so smart you just have the wrong starting point right yeah. you're like starting at the end of the race and then you're trying to run it on your hands um the so uh, and freud is a, he freud is saying okay yes we have this experience of selfhood this experience of of self awareness i can say i am me and not him and he's got and, and assume that he's got some sort of self awareness when you have you have guys like berkeley that say we can't even know that anybody else exists because we don't have access to their self awareness but for the most part people are have enough common sense to say Okay, we've all got this experience of self-awareness, right? And I can assume you've got it like I've got it. And I can and um <laughs> and the problem is that we don't fit into the world anywhere. And there's two options, right? You can therapeutically adjust your own self mm. until you do fit, or you can change the world until there's a place for you in it. Mm. Right. Those are the, you can either conform yourself um, to the world, or you can conform the world to yourself. And those are the two different kinds of answers. So Freud says, well, we've got to conform. Well, Freud's a little more complex because he wants to do a little bit of both.
0: That's what I was going to say. Um, Like, there's kind of, of that's kind of where we're at right now is where we're in this mixture where it's like, let's do both of those.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. So you've um, and the problem is what what Christians do is they are we we are worldly. And so we try to use Jesus to answer the world's questions.
0: OK, so before right, we,
1: you, we try to use you, gotta,
0: cause you got to because I don't want you have to go back to what you were saying about with identity, because I. And I think you're about to because that's really good. So I think I got existentialism. I think I got the two way that we're answering the question of being in this monad or um, acting. So I like the way you said this, where we're acting on the world to to conform it to how we think we are, or we're trying to act on ourselves to conform ourselves to uh, the world. Would you say the world? Would that be the right answer? So then when Christians come into this,
2: um,
0: they are only playing with those two questions. They're playing inside those ideas of identity.
1: Yeah, and so the um, and so they have no, so so they think okay, I, so and this is where the the Christian deconstru- the deconstruction of the church or the deconstruction of Christianity this whole movement is just it's just par for the course right this is a um, this is this it's sort of same old same old. Where where they say okay I don't fit I feel like I don't fit and you see this so I went and read some of these people that's I've never quite felt like I fit in the church I've never quite they've got this existential it's called ennui that um, it's a French word e n n u i it's a French word that means um, the feeling of not fitting in the world right it's an existentialist um, word that uh, has a, a lot of fun possibilities for jokes and puns because it's ennui, right? Um, so this word, the ennui, describes this feeling of not fitting. And that's how all of these stories of people saying, ah, I've discovered what's wrong with the church, or I've discovered what's wrong with Christianity. And it all starts with, well, I never really quite felt like I fit. Mm. I never really quite felt like there was a place for me, and right? So, okay, you've got existential terror, you've got existential ennui, a feeling of unfittingness, and if uh, the, the if the existentialists are right, if the modernists are right, then um, either you change or the world change, but it's a rivalry between you and creation, right? That either there's the either God messed up creating the world, and so when um, so you don't fit in it right, or um, so something went wrong. With you, and you have to conform to the to the world.
0: Okay, so then the first time I started seeing this, and it was really innocent, um, and I started seeing it really in abundance, was probably back in two thousand six, when we I started seeing the social justice movement um, and black people. They started having this merger into black churches and white churches. You know, you had peacekeepers that was going on in this reconciliation thing that was happening. And so, um, I started seeing reformed, uh, I started seeing black people coming to white churches and kind of reforming at the same time. And one of the things that was really, really prevalent was the idea that, and this, I think the fruit of it has culminated to where we are now, which is, man, I don't fit here. Right. Like I don't fit in, yeah. the, in, in white churches. Um, my culture isn't there. Uh, you know, my people aren't here. I'm like the only black guy in the church. When they vote, they vote completely opposite than the way that I vote. You know, I just, I, I never felt like I belonged there in the churches. And some of the things that happened in culture were only more relevant of I it. Mean, when, when you hear LaCrae saying, you know, and other rappers talking about when I went to church that Sunday and everybody was so happy that Trump won and I'm over here by myself, like, man, like, these people, we ain't the same. Like we, I don't fit here at all. And they start seeing this displacement of black people. And I I know this is happening in culture, but the place that I really saw it prevalent was in the, in the church where black people were in. And I started seeing where churches started changing what they were doing or how they were engaging in worship to try and make two, of the uh, black families there feel like they were a part of the whole of everything that was going on. It's completely switch everything around. It's like, oh, now that we have, you know, four black people here, guys, this is different. And I started seeing, and
1: that's, I'm not having a conversation on the- We better put some gospel music in there.
0: Right, everything. Well, I'll just say this straight up. I remember RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary, back in 2011. Uh, when they start making a, uh, maybe it was even before then, they started making a huge play for, for black people in, and I, I, I was happy for this, actually, that they were trying to reach out and say, hey, come on in, uh, to the, you know, Presbyterian theology, Presbyterian worldview. Like, that's part of my heart, right? Like, that's my heart. But what I started seeing yeah. was that they started changing what they did in order for black people to feel like that they fit there, right? They started changing their, their style of music, they started changing their uh, reform. And I don't mean style of music in a sense that like um, from gospel to charismatic, I mean, as in how they vetted um, biblically uh, didactic music over cultural preferences or so the other way around cultural preferences over biblically didactic music. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want, I love my culture and my music, but we have songs that are reformed and biblical too why are we choosing one that has more of a cultural preference over one that's more biblically sound? And they couldn't tell the difference between the two because they just wanted to make sure this thing fit together.
1: And I think that's what we, and, and, and I think it's because we are, we actually don't, we don't know where to go to get our identity or where we're deriving our identity from. And so we think, that certain things are are accidental, they're exchangeables. Um uh, because that's not where that's not part of our identity. And um and but we get hold of the wrong things and exchange them. And this this is so it's this is I, I think um it's all just evidence that we have sort of just bought into the ideas about, um, identity and self-awareness, uh, unthinkingly. Right. Um, and, and we do because we don't even know how to have the conversations about, mm. uh, um, because when we go to have conversations we don't know when it's okay to be offensive and when it's not okay to be offensive. We don't know, right? Jesus, he's he's going into a um, after church potluck with his disciples and refuses to wash his hands, right? And we look at that and think, I don't have any idea why he does that at that point, right? Paul confronts Peter to his face about the seating arrangement at a potluck. Right. We, and, and, and if we can't, if th- those are, cause th- these are all biblical identity questions, right? Right. What, Jesus knew what it meant to wash your hands in terms of identification with people identification with certain rivalries identification with certain um meta narratives and he so he refused to wash his hands because he knew that was buying in to a false identity Mm. he was that it would communicate a false identity that um and, and uh you know, it's the same with David taking the taking the showbread when he gets Goliath's sword before he goes into exile. Right, he's not allowed to eat the showbread. Right, he knows that. Except for because of the way that God set it up, there are certain times it's okay to break the law, <laughs> but because there's a uh, because there are certain laws that that are that are um, we because. Because different laws have different settings and are ordered in different ways. Now, the and Jesus says, David understood, we know David understood the, the purpose and use of the law because he broke it in the right way. Mm. <laughs> and we're like, no, you don't break laws, right? Except for... David did and was praised by Jesus for it so these are and and these are because um there are the there are certain laws that are are identity marker laws there they are not um and there are certain laws that are moral eternal laws there are certain laws right, that so the um and and you know there this is where it gets really you ni know, you have to say how is it that i know who i am who am i and how do i know who i am right that's that's the question of identity right um, the, the the in the existentialist setting the living experience of our own selfhood is anxiety right and we should look at that and say okay i know there's something wrong with that because i'm specifically told to not have anxiety right I'm specifically commanded to rejoice in all things. And again, I say rejoice, right? But so there's um, that, but we, we haven't come up with a good answer um, yet, but that's what I've been, that's what I've been working on. So okay, think, think uh, yeah, no, maybe may, I have the answer now. Okay. So
0: that's what I'm trying to get to now. <laughs> so then what is the answer? Because part of when you say identity, and this is what we were getting at. Uh, part of my second question is when I think people are saying identity, and finding their identity in Christ, what they're trying to say is, I want to put off the kind of thing that um, marks me out. This is what I think they're saying. I think that they're trying to say anyway. The kind of thing that marks me out yeah. from being um, a part of the ideology and worldview of secularist secularism, um, uh, the world, right? I have... Uh, A mark, and I think they mean this through baptism, I I might be being way too fair with this, (laughs) Um, that puts them in a different category of how the world works so that everything that they draw from and understand and think and operate in is underneath biblical, godly teaching to the rest of the world, that's what I think they're meaning by identity. They have been called a uh, a brother of Christ, so that they are marked with the same mentality and i and worldview and thinking of Christ, so that when they come to something, they bring that to um, the table. It's that's what I think that they mean by identity.
1: Yeah, I I, I think that that's. In in the most ideal version of an existentialist answer, I think that is <laughs> what people are hoping for, right? I think they're trying that. I think people say like, okay, my identity is in Christ, and that means that I've got my theology in order and I'm living it out. Yes, right. That's what I'm trying yes. to do. Right, and and um and that I'm looking at who am I and say, well, I am. I am who I am in relation to Jesus. Right. Right. And, um, and I, th- I think that's what people are trying to do, but it's failing Right. It fails. Everyone. That's not something it, it ends up weirdly unsustainable. It's we're losing 80% of our kids to the world.
0: Well, we don't right? give our kids and an identity we, in Christ. First of all, right. Like <laughs> right. Like that's, that's one of the it, reasons why it's it, failing. But,
1: it, but it, Uh, But I think I think it's because we don't know how to give an identity.
0: Okay, give me that. What do you mean by that?
1: I think we so um, so I think we look at our kids and we say, hey, take your identity in Christ. And what that means is choose Jesus as your um, as the thing that solves your existential angst.
0: Mm. Right. I, no that's no that's right. that's really Wait. good because so, when people evangelize it's like hey and even even the most reformed you know we're not saying to come to jesus because your life will be better but you know that right. angst that you have jesus solves that yeah like that is jesus the connecting solves that, right uh interesting
1: and, and here and and here's the thing he does solve it but he doesn't solve it the way we want him to right he 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 solves it the way um, he, we, because we tend to be like the um, the uh, man amongst the tombs, right? Where mm. we say, "Okay, Jesus, you cast out all the demons. Can I come with you?" we think, if I just got a full-time ministry job if i was doing it i would have this existential angst would be gone and, but what jesus says to the man amongst the tombs after he heals him is go back and be with your people <laughs> it's like i'll give you an identity it's over there in that city go back and be with your people it's the jesus gives the wrong answer <laughs> no <laughs> It's, a, it's why are you amazing. so tickled by this? You're
0: yeah. so I'm sitting here saying like, what did you just say?
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. The, we, we, cause we know the answer. If somebody says, oh my gosh, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be with him all the time. I, he's all I ever want. Uh, we say, oh good. Okay. Come on. Come on. like come over here. Let me show you where to serve. Let me show you what to do. Let, let me show you like, Hey, you should go to seminary. Right. That's what, that's what it, you know, that's where you really learn and become closer and closer to Jesus, and you you can be in ministry, that kind of passion's perfect, and what Jesus says is, "Okay, good, go back and be amongst your people That's his response to the man amongst the tomb who has no identity right that's he is an identityless man he has no city he uh his his identity has been wrapped up in the fact that he's possessed by a thousand demons. Um, he, that he, he is a living dead man. And when the, when he is healed by the, by the people, by when, when he's healed, the people of the city say, no, we need him to not be healed, right? We, we want him out there amongst the tombs. I don't know why. I mean, it, um, my wife pointed out, well, it keeps the road safe. Maybe it's, it's the, he's like the, the first line of defense. If he can tear chains apart and um, then, and he's terrifying, maybe no, nobody's going to attack from that side. And so, you know, um, uh, the, the other things that I've thought of are, you know, maybe it's a Jerry Springer situation where they're like, everybody's like, well, Hey, at least I'm not as bad as that guy out there. Who's, Living amongst the tombs, right? They, they, that somehow the city, the city's identity, um, is is has rested upon this man, right? And it's possible that he's he's got some sort of the that maybe he has all the demons of the city, right? So the demon, so that a rivalry with this man is what keeps the city free of demons. Why does he have that many demons? That's crazy. There, there's something going on there, right? When Jesus. Heals them, throws all those demons into the pigs. The pigs run off the edge. The people in the city say, please leave. (laughs) And Jesus and the man says, can I go with you? Jesus says, no, go back and be amongst your people. So there's uh, a, if that, it's a story that has continually, I've come back to over and over and say, unless i understand what's going on here i have no idea what's going on in the rest of the gospels cuz this seems to be terribly important but i think um you know when you get to the book of revelation so here here's here's where here's how i think you solve this problem or right? you get to the book of revelation and you see the church from god's perspective i mean it's okay if i just assume some sort of semi-preterism, right? I don't have to... <laughs> <laughs>
0: I hope we've been assuming it the whole time.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Right, so um, my take on the book of Revelation is that it's apocalyptic in the literal sense. It's a revelation. It's a revealing of what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, in that sixty sixty-seven 67 to, to 70 A.D. setting, right? That God says, "Look here, let me tell you in symbolism what's really going on." And I think that it's a it sets a pattern that, that's a repeating pattern throughout history, and and um, and uh, and I believe Jesus is literally physically coming back at the end. It's not a denial of of the return of Christ or anything like that. But um, I think you get uh, the, you get a revealing of what's going on, um, in, from God's perspective. And when he sees the church, what he says is he he describes it as a people from every nation, tribe, ethnicity, and tongue, right? Language group, right? So he doesn't look at it at the church and say, um, okay, all of your identities markers are dissolved by your baptism. Right. But instead, the identity the identity markers are actually brought into eternity. Right? Your nationality, your tribe, your tribal markers, your ethnicity is actually eternal. It's brought into eternity and it comes to interact with eternity through it, it begins to interact with eternity through your baptism. You know, right? it's, you know, it's really, so, you
0: know, it's really cool. important about that too. Uh, is is that if you, um, you know, right now our big fight with transgenderism, right? It's like one of the things that we need to bang on is the fact that the sex that you are at birth is something that will follow you throughout eternity. Right, you'll
1: throughout eternity. Or, yeah, you,
0: you can't escape that from a surgery like the the even if you decide right. to rebel against God for your whole life and you surgically remove your anatomy in resurrection whether for yeah. heaven or hell it will be yeah. back <laughs> right like you're right. not getting yeah, rid you of are it.
1: raised yeah, you're you're raised from the dead male and female
0: that's right um,
1: and that's that and and that's a good thing. Like that's, right. That's something that we rejoice in, and we're beginning to learn to rejoice in now. But you're also raised from the dead with your nationality. That's right. With your tribe, uh, with your with, with your your tribal identity, with your linguistic identity, um, with your ethnic identity. Uh, you're you're raised from the dead with all of that, and and God looks at it and says, "It's beautiful." Isn't that glorious, right? Like that's, that's the part of Jesus's bragging rights is that the father gave him all the nations, all the tribes, all the ethnicities, all the language groups. And then he looks down at them and says, and look, I've made them fit together. That's Jesus's bragging rights are all wrapped up in the fact that we retain our identities uh, re-retain re- our historic, our historically built identities. Um, and so so. here's the way I've been thinking about it, is that the church, our baptism, offers a super identity, an identity over the top of our other identities. It lays it over the top and it doesn't destroy, it converts. Right? It, it destroys the rivalries that have grown up between our different sub identities. Yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah. And if, you know, say our, our ethnicity has superseded its, its intended place within our identity, then you end up with ethnic, um, you know, ethnic rivalries. Right. Um, and, and I think we see, we're starting to, we have people that are making a lot of money by, fueling ethnic rivalries. So right? I don't believe race is real. I think I think race is a fake category is made up by atheists. But um it is. but yeah. ethnicity is a real category and you've got this and you've got people fueling ethnic uh ethnic rivalries uh for money in our day, right? Um money and power. And so they're trying to get what should be a sub identity Right, our ethnicity to become our our super identity. They're trying to say our ethnicity can be an identity that everything else is is judged according to. It's the meta identity, the super identity over it all. So, Jason, and so. Your rivalries make sense
0: so is this is this kind of like what we were talking about when it comes to globalism, where we have an economic reality and ontological reality, and people are fighting again between these two different categories when it relates to race right they their economic realities of who they are over against the ontological realities of what they are
1: right right exactly yeah I mean you, and that's and and when you, you see uh, it, it's really interesting, you know, the way throughout history the church has just dissolved rivalries wherever it goes, and right? it finds rivalries in these sub-identity categories and it dissolves them. Mm. Right. So um, I, I can't remember. I can't remember if we if we had talked about this on the phone or in one of these recorded conversation, but you look at the way the church got rid of slavery, right? It was because you had these, you had all these slaves convert, but you also had a lot of masters convert and then they'd go to church together. And then sometimes the slave would be a better Christian than the master. And he'd end up an elder in the church. And so at church on Sunday morning, the slave is over the master in, in authority, and then they go home, and the rest of the week, the master's over the slave in authority, and pretty soon they look at each other and they say, something's busted. This isn't right. I, um, or they, they, um, their imaginations are completely re-landscaped by the liturgy of the church. They're re-landscaped by the calendar of the church they're, they're, uh, um, to where they look at each other and they say, why am I dehumanizing you the rest of the week? That's not right. And so then they um, they, you know, uh, uh, end up uh, um, just dissolving the economic rivalries that make slavery make sense, right? I, I, the the I, ethnic rivalries that make slavery make sense.
0: I don't think that the the patience or the expectance of sanctification through work through the system in that way is not a reality our culture is willing to have anymore. So that the but it's time
1: because it's be, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no.
0: What were we going to say?
1: Well, it's, be, it's because we think that the problem is, is uh, that we have um, an excess that, that the self-awareness of our own unfittingness is the problem. and so we've got to solve it. Right. You can't think generationally if the problem is me not fitting in the world right now. You have to fix the world um it, or, or separate your personhood your personality from it right and so um you, you the a lot of the existential stuff that you see now has to do with learning detachment right kind of that eastern philosophy looks really uh, attractive because you can learn detachment right i don't fit in the world anywhere but i've detached from it and so i can you know have that sort of existential uh solution of detachment from the world
0: so what's happening right now but
1: if that's the problem you can't have patience you can't have generational patience
0: because you have to you have to you're displaced and so you being displaced isn't a generational there's no generational fix for that it's just another person could be displaced there's no generational solution yeah you're right there's no there's no um planting watering increase fruit right there's that doesn't exist in the world anymore that process the way the world actually flows and functions so then when you have let's go back to what i was talking about earlier when i remember and i think it's why we have the riff right now where you have this blending of black people coming to white churches and feeling very displaced there right um yeah and so uh Part of what you started seeing a lot of these churches doing, even you see it in the SBC right now, what can we do so that, um, you know, our brothers and sisters aren't displaced, you know, and, and so they start yeah. changing stuff. And then you have this group where that it's just like, hey, we don't fit here. What, what What's the, you know, and so then there's like, well, let, here, let's create a group. Uh, or a place where you can be you in this place, segregated from us, right? That starts to happen. Where, <laughs> yeah, where, where you're here in the Which hole
1: always worked out well in history, right? <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but, but, but what do you? It is amazing. Like you see, you see calls for segregation in the colleges right now. Right. Yeah, You've actually. Yeah. Them purposefully segregating say because they say, well, there's no way to get rid of the rivalry. Right. We just need everybody to have their own space. That literally was the argument of the anti segregationists. The Ku Klux Klan made that argument. And, in, and we in said the 50s and the 60s. And we're saying right? it worked. That's what and, we're saying yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and we're and we're like, oh, "Man, I just wish we woulda listened to the Ku Klux Klan." Right? That's what we're saying right but, now. It's, but what's the it's insanity. But what's but the
0: alternative though? Because I don't see Okay, so man, there's so much to say about this. I don't see if with this identity crisis happening right now, I don't think anybody's marking it that way. It's a unique the way I think you're thinking about this. But when you come into a place like that, I I really understand what a lot of black people are saying when they're leaving mm-hmm. a particular form of their culture and they're going into a completely different culture. Um And there's this bitterness that happens, too, because when you I think you've bought another lie that um that, you know you've leave one doctrine. There's so much going on here because part of the reason that you're leaving where you were to go to this other set of culture is because doctrinally you were told that this is all trash and there's nothing here that's worth redeeming or saving. And so you leave all of that over there that's garbage to come to some place that has it doctrinally sound and more put together. And the ideal. Right. (laughs) And 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 so part of part of your escape, part of your your escape from one to the other is to find something that's more biblically um, enlightened. Right. And then you Mm -hmm. get there and you're like. I don't fit into this new biblically enlightened world.
1: Right. And and this is this is where. I think often what, so this is, and so most of my experience is in the, in reformed churches, right? I got saved, uh, 20, 25 years ago, I was baptized into a Presbyterian church and I was baptized, you know, alongside a baby. Um, so I was 17 and there was a baby being baptized and me and one other teenager, right? It's really interesting. So I was baptized as an adult, in an infant baptism setting, and so that throws a lot of people off. Uh, but uh, what what um, my experience in the Reformed Church is that it often doesn't prov- it doesn't allow the church or desire the church maybe even to provide a super identity or a meta identity. Instead, it acts like a tribe, right? And so there's the only room. For people with the same expressive uh, cult, cultural markings, right? Because mm. that's so tribe is marked out by cultural markings, right? Cult, cult uh, the way that we express ourselves is our tribal, uh, the, the the way we express our selfhood, right, is tribal. Right?
0: Like that putting an American flag idea, in the church. Right?
1: So you can have, yeah, put it, yeah, so we, um, we we say this is the tribe we are, right? So um, mm. the way you dress, the way you, the music you use, the dances that you do or don't do, right? In Presbyterian churches, yeah. that we don't dance, that's part of our identity, right? Um, that's the kind of tribe we are, um, and the but the church is supposed to it, so, and then the church becomes all one people of that tribe, cultural tribal expression, yeah. right? And so when somebody comes in that has different cultural expressive, uh, markers, uh, different ways of expressing their cultural selfhood. Their um, different, I don't know what we different. They wear different tattoos, so to speak. Like, you know, in, in a tribe, you mark yourself out with tattoos. Um, and there are cultural tattoos that we wear, right? Like my, um, I, I like, Polo shirts, right. right?
0: Well, yeah. Every <laughs> gang, every walk gang, walk into a
1: Presbyterian church and, every, yeah, yeah. Gangs they, are a really good example, right? Yeah, they all Colors, have their marks.
0: And, yeah, exactly.
1: They have their marks, right? And um, if your church expects everybody to change the way they dress to be a part of your church, change the accent that they use it, and and sometimes it's like literal accents, but often it's just like theological accents, right? You have to speak certain way and you expected um, the and it, Presbyterians aren't the only ones to do this, right? Cause you see oh, no. um, the, the way, uh, you know, uh, black churches preach, right? It's a very specific way of expressing themselves. It's a dialect and there's not anything wrong with the dialect. Right. And so if, but, but often what you see in a Presbyterian church is they think, the problem is the emotional expressiveness, right? That's the problem, right? Um, and, but that's not the problem, right? The dialect is not the problem. The, the, uh, so a tribal relationship to emotions is part of our tribal identity. How do we express ourselves, uh, express our selfhood, mark, uh, mark ourselves out, right? Um, and the reformed church has a tendency to be more of a tribe than a church, more of a um, and so <laughs> is it is uh, it this is and so somebody comes in and they, they and they have a hard time they, or they think their options are yep change dialects change the way I dress right and l- learn to fit in at that level um, at that tribal level or go someplace else because there's not a spot for me here right um whereas a multi ethnic multi tribal church is what we're told to be and in the, within the city we are and so we should also know that some of these things are you know are are actually accomplished within the city we just have split at an institutional level in a way God doesn't want us to but
0: <laughs> hold on before you get there this is interesting <laughs> because i've noticed that you know um I remember and this is probably the best example i remember so i played the drums in a charismatic church and their uh expression being a huge part of our identity our tribe um uh, and so i remember when i went over to a christian missionary alliance church um their songs and their style of music was completely different than ours completely it was very uh ccm you know uh but there was passion there it just wasn't the same way and I remember wanting to play the drums at some point and my wife she's a singer so we, we wanted to join the praise team <laughs> praise team and so <laughs> praise team right yeah it's, yeah, yeah it's a
1: different nomenclature altogether. yeah
0: right um, and so I remember having a hard time I wanted to play the way that they were playing but I was far more expressive on my instrument than they were and I had a hard time trying to be you know i tried to fit in with their style of playing it's like they don't they don't do an extra triple they don't double beat they don't you know they don't do these roles yeah so i just didn't do any of those things and i just felt myself dying inside <laughs> because that's how i wanted. Yes. to i felt you know <laughs> i wanted to be a part of the i wanted to be a part of this new place that we were at and um trying to blend in and i remember one of the guys joe saying hey man you know um it feels like you're holding back. Just play. I was like, y'all don't want me to really play. He's like, no, man, just play.
1: <laughs>
0: and one Sunday, I played, and it was kind of like, what just happened? You know, like the and and it became something that I, I Everybody was a part. They were. Everybody was fine with, and it, it wasn't like something that super stood right. out. But it was just I didn't know that I could be. Uh, uh Engage being myself in that environment like that. Now this is so okay. I'm trying to make a point yeah. here. My, I, it seems like though that these, these ways of expression, um, and all this stuff in church is like what you said earlier. It's missing this larger identity mark. And I, I always thought that it was through baptism, but what we have a problem working out. It seems like. Is then how do we in relationship to each other as we're trying to follow um the scriptures, how do we then engage, right, with all of this? Where yeah. those things because here's a here's the deal. You can't have you get charismatics and Presbyterians together and those two things aren't gonna mix. People ain't gonna be falling out in the aisles and th- then somebody feels hurt because they can't fall out right. in the spirit or dance in the middle of the aisles. Like, you know, and that's when you start thinking, like, man, I'm glad we have denominations. But then <laughs> but then there is this kind of um i don't know this this part of your where you want to be at a reform place but then there's no reform circles for you and so how do you take the reform yeah. circles and make them a little more you know those those things those are real issues that i think people are trying to mark out as we talk about identity and culture and structure so i don't know if everybody's trying to make the fight that hey you know um there's an existential problem maybe they are there's an existential problem here. I'm just trying to figure out how to fit in as my doctrine has changed. And I really do love the culture and the tribe that's over here, but doctrinally, we don't fit. And then I'm over here on this other side. Talk yeah. about angst, right? <laughs> like now I'm over here on this other side <laughs> and doctrinally, we fit, but then the tribe. I just don't fit into that at all. Like, how do I? And so you yeah, got this. Just right. yeah. I don't. Be, that's where I mean. Where you get this identity? Where I don't belong here. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, I had a, um, I, mean the, I, I re, so I got. I was playing drums in like funk bands and punk bands and, um, and a lot of soul music and, and got saved into this church and I remember this guy saying you know i just i'm so moved by garth brooks and i was like what the hell have i gotten myself into <laughs> like, and i'm so i'm sitting there like garth brooks seriously like the cheesy pop country like i don't i couldn't i i, I had no and, I, and so i'm sitting here and I, I i was playing drums once and you know i was in like african drum troops and so i was they had me come in to play african Hand drums in church, and uh, I've had these situations where it's like, okay, I'm playing along, and then the guy leading it stops, and he's like, Can I just get like thump, 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 thump? That's all, and I was like, mm hmm, sure, yeah, I'll ruin the song for you. Like, why, why would we do that, you know? Uh, and um, and so, <laughs> and trying to figure that, that like, who. What I, I did not grow up in this tribe and so I'm trying to find my way into it. So it's not just simple ethnic um, you know because cause you and I don't have very much ethnicity in common I don't think. I don't know. <laughs> have to I don't think so. Do, yeah, we share a lot of, of... We connect yeah, in not. places.
0: We connect <laughs> in places but yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. But But what we but the the metaphysic or the uh, existential experience is actually really similar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so it, it can't, so when you say, okay, well, what's the problem? We are always, we often what the world has done or what right now modern America has done, I think partly because of the success of Martin Luther King jr. And, you know, some of the, some of that, I think we try to immediately say, Oh, this is a, this is an ethnicity problem this is a skin color problem this is a race problem right because it, um but then when you actually dig in and get to know people you realize now this is a we everybody's feeling this right everybody's feeling this um we and the expression of it is different
0: right, right? my right. Um,
1: my it, the, the the but be, but that's because we have different we're coming out of different tribal and ethnic backgrounds, so our expressive habits are different. But is that? But so- we're actually all expressing this this same unfittingness, and so, um, and I think we have to, if we're going to solve it, we have to first admit we we that people a lot of people are in the same spot that sh- that the. The world's categories can't explain why they're in the same spot within so, the church.
0: So when we start talking about identity in it, yeah, I'm trying to deal with this mostly at a church level because I think it kind of comes from here.
1: Um, yeah. I think you're I think you're absolutely right. I think it's our only hope is the fact that God has promised that the church is his mission. Yeah, the church is his solution to the world.
0: Yeah, because you know,
1: if we Jesus were, is his solution to the world and the church is the plan.
0: And so I remember even as a charismatic in black churches, we would go to other churches and we would be like, these folks ain't got the spirit, you know, like,
1: (laughs) so our, you know, the way we're hearing that from my charismatic assemblies of God friends and, and, and thinking and not knowing what that phrase meant.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Right. We just knew like, and so we didn't want to go like, we didn't want to go to a church or be involved in a situation where it's like, Oh, these these people ain't got the Holy ghost, man. And so, right. (laughs) But, but, but this is, so then when you start talking about identity, that like, that's hmm, when you look at, mean, there's two questions I guess I'm thinking of is like Christian identity itself. How do we mark it off? Is one question like being able to actually mark off Christian identity. The other question is as a church, um, I, who is you? Know, is it parents ultimately responsible in one way or another for that identity of a Christian to to be imprinted on their family and as their kids? Because, um, you know, one of the things that I've uh, this is and this is a challenge for me is making sure my kids understand who they are, their identity, mm-hmm. and. And when I think about identity, I think I'm thinking of it as very robust as in like, okay, so my kids are black Americans. Um, They have a particular type of culture that has gone back for hundreds of years, all the way back to Adam. Right. So our, our covenantal realities are not separate from our ethnic identities in one sense. Right. And in one way, that covenant to reality reestablish and reties their ethnic identity to um, uh, to a circumcised one Jew, right? That's what we've attached to. We've been grafted into that that part of. So then, um, and then we have these covenant realities of being American, right? That's part of your identity as well. So, you know, you got Christian, you got black you got male female you have american you have (laughs) right all these realities of who they are and that make up part of who their identity and so um as i'm so i feel responsible as a father to be able to tie them and tell them who they are and whose they are so that their identity isn't something that somebody else could come through and try and renegotiate with them right And, and so, 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 you know, as we, so whose responsibility, I guess, is identity. And then what is it that there should be building inside of their kid when they're marking them out with that identity?
1: Yeah. So, so, and this is, this is the part that we probably are going to need to spend a few weeks discussing because (laughs) I think, (laughs) because I think once you identify the problem, you realize, oh, Dang. We are bankrupt, right? We have to declare bankruptcy when it comes to Christian identity um, and uh, and go to the bank and say, hey, we're completely bankrupt and God has to begin refilling us. Because when he starts listing identities, you realize these are the things that we have literally been undercutting um, that secularism has been undercutting for hundreds of years, mm. right? We that, that secularism comes across and gives us a false super identity, right? The coexist sticker, I think, is a good example, right, uh, of the, a false super identity being offered by secularism that says, hey, we can take your religion – and we can fit them all together as long as you accept this meta narrative, this secular super identity, this secular meta identity over the top of it all, then, Hey, we we can bring peace to the world and all of the, we're, but you, you've got like Islam and Christianity both in there, which are world conquering religions. You can't eat one of them. They both claim that by the end they will be, they will have conquered it all, right? So the, um, You've got two world-conquering religions in there that are supposedly somehow supposed to get along so long as they secularize themselves, right? Um, And then you add in the uh, Eastern religions, which are world – those ones can fit within secularism because they are – um world detaching religions but somehow the world detachment religions and the world conquering religions are going to look at each other and say well hey you can each both have your space right because secularism's going to provide the super identity and so when and but this is how they do it right they do it through storytelling they what they do is they say Let me tell you about all of the religious wars of history. Aren't you so glad now you live in an era of peace where secularism has ended all of the religious wars? But that's still how they talk. That's still how the story is told. The 20th century, the age of secularism, was literally the most violent period in the history of the world. The only thing more violent than the 20th century was the flood. Mm. there was nothing else nearly as violent right um there was never a time in the world in the history of the world in which you counted deaths um deaths by the millions um unless it was a plague right you had a you had a plague that kind of came through and you talked in percentages of the population right but uh but people killing people you'd never had anything like the 20th century people killing their own people right well the problem is they they stop seeing each other as their own people that's what secularism does it it cuts people off from their identity at the roots with the promise that they will be replanted but it has no soil to replant them and so we have to come to the lord and say we are bankrupt our, we're overdrawn on our identity accounts, bankrupt. Secularism has separated us from it all, and uh, Lord, we need you to replant us into our identity. And then, the you know, it's a it's a, then it's a storytelling contest at that point, right? That that's where so our identities um, are 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 uh, developed out of the stories that we tell when we say, "Who are you?" Right. So um, and it, 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 uh, w- if somebody comes along and says, hey, how did you become a Christian? It um, I like to joke. Well, let me tell you the story of St. Boniface coming to Germany. <laughs> right. Let me tell you the story of St. Patrick. Um, or, you know, um, you know l- let me tell you that uh, and and joke that that's when that's when my people were saved. Right. Um, but we have to put quotes around my people because we actually have lost the connections to our people groups, right? Um, so if if the book of Revelation, I think, is a, that a good authoritative place to start, we all have a nationality. We have a tribe. We have an ethnic group. And we have a linguistic group. Um, and then you add in, you know, uh Genesis 15, 17, right? All the families of the earth will be saved. We've also got a family, right? Each of those identities, our job is to dig in and convert those to Christianity, right? How do we learn to retell our, our national identity, right? Nationalism is when we take our national identity and try to make it a super identity. Um, the response instead of, of what a lot of people in the church right now,
0: instead of what? So then do the instead opposite instead of
1: it being just one of our, one of our sub identities. Yeah. So a lot of the anti-nationalist rhetoric right now is, but America is terrible. It was like, well, America doesn't have to be perfect to be a national identity. It's one of the things that needs to be saved, right? Our national the nation needs to be saved. It's not a savior. So it's a sinner. Well, yes, surprise, surprise. Our nation's a sinner, that's why jesus came to save all the nations of the earth right that's why we're sent out to um baptize and evangelize the nations of the earth. The nations are sinners. Okay.
0: Pause pause right there because I think that the way that that some of the people having this conversation with identity are saying, yeah, that's re- exactly right. It, it, the nation is a sinner and it's been sinning and it's been treating people a particular type of way and other people another way and it's been had in favorites. And so it needs to be saved. And I got just a type of nun gospel for it. Right. So the way to fix the nation then is right. to, you know, they come with the nun gospel and they, and they, Throw on to the nation another story of how to fix it, which is what we need to do now.
1: Right, save ourselves. Which is why they start acting like Pharisees if you give them any leash at all. Immediately, all of the sixteen nineteen project, everything—it immediately becomes a Phariseeism It says, "Well, let me tell you how to save yourself, right?" And they put on they they put on, um, weights that they can't, that they won't carry themselves, right? They put on burdens that they won't carry themselves. Okay.
0: So then bring, and bring Pharisees do. So, so then bring the, bring the nationalism underneath the story of Christianity. So, so we can see how to bring all of right. these identities so, that you, so laid you say.
1: In. Right. So, so our national identity is sort of our legal civic, jurisdictional self. It's our legal self. That's, that's the, so it's history, history is about the law, his, history, of his, histories of the law history, our civic history. Um, and the, the way that we tell those stories, right. Is um, if, if so is either under the rule of Christ or not. Right. And there are places where we have sinned and we've resisted the rule of Christ. But to then come along and say, and so what we need is more of that, is not to tell the story in a Christian way, right? What we should be repenting, we should be. Um, I mean, and this is where like, it, it, if if we have a nation that's a sinner, then we should expect that we're going to have to repent. But if I come along to a, if if I go along to a person and I say, you know, and here's the thing, we do do this even in, with individuals we insist that people tell their own history, their own personal story, as if everything before they were a Christian is absolutely the worst possible thing ever. And everything since they've become a Christian is now perfect and good. and Right. Um, or, uh, you know, the, but, but we've this false, false version of total depravity that says, um, that that uh, ev- everything about a person was wrong rather than you know the the noetic effect of sin that Calvin's talking about with total depravity that Augustine talks about is that everything is affected everything is twisted by sin and needs to be untwisted and put into its right order um but but uh we don't get rid of sinful desires by just simply cutting them out and getting rid of them right we put them off by putting on christ we get rid of the things that we the the wrong things by putting the right things in its place and when it comes to a lot of things it's it's more about ordering them properly right so if you you've got uh some you've got some sin in your life and you and it's the the reason it's an idol is because you've put it above jesus not because it's not a good thing. We rarely idolize a bad thing. I mean, I've met Satanists who are like, yeah, I worship the devil. That's the, that's and they're like, yeah, that's, you shouldn't do that. Right. Don't worship the devil. (laughs) Right. Um, But most of the time, what you do is you take something that's good and you just put it too high on your, on the, or in, in your order of loves and you love it more than God. And what we tend to think is that what we have to do is then take it and love it less rather than, Take God and love Him more, right? That reorders our loves properly, right? But you know, if you if you love fried chicken like I love fried chicken, um, uh, the if you love fried chicken more than Jesus, that's a problem. But you don't say, okay, well, you know what? I'm just gonna love fried chicken less, and then Jesus will be higher on the scale of loves. You say, well, no. The fact that you could get Jesus underneath fried chicken has to do with how cold your love is for Jesus. Not the how hot your love for fried chicken is, right? You should you you. We solve the problem the in in uh, the wrong way rather than saying I need to study I, I need to to study what it is to love the Lord. I need to know more. If I knew more about Jesus, I would love Him more. Right? Augustine talks about the way that God grows our love for Him is by revealing the beauty of His Son to us. The more we see the beauty of Christ, the more we love. Um, the triune God and, and, um, and, uh, and, and we think, you know what, I just need to love some of these other little things less. Uh, And, and with our nation, it's that sort of thing, right? If, if we are um, letting our national identity supersede our Christian identity, then we should look at that and think, how can my love for Jesus be so cold that anything could get above it? Right? not, you know what we need to tear down this nation, right? We need to reset our understanding of our nation into the story of Christ. The story of Jesus is the meta narrative, and America is America is an extra in the story, right? America is a background character in the story of Jesus, and if we can't, um, and and we don't we don't solve it by thinking less of our nation. We solve it by thinking more. Of Christ, um, and and understanding that this whole world, the whole the whole story is about Jesus, and there's lots of subplots, um, and we tell our nation's story as a subplot in the story of Jesus. We tell our we, and then our legal, civic, jurisdictional self fits really well there the way it's supposed to, that story can fit there. Jason, um, the story of Jesus can't fit underneath the story of, of America though.
0: What it sounds like uh, you're saying. And I think something that I, I need to be more mindful of is that I don't think historically um, the way that I should, I think very short sighted historically. So, you know, one of the things that I've been doing, you know, when I go on Whitlock's show is I've been trying to think outside of the current Everybody talks right now as if everything is happening in a box. And so when they see the situation, they see the current climate that we're in, whether identity, whether globalism, um, anything that we're dealing with right now in the culture that's a problem or existential threat, we see it in a very small historical framework, whether it's 300 years, whether it's the founding of America, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's 1619. But what we don't do is, and this happens when we tell history, we find a point in time and place in history to eisegete instead of zooming all the way out and say, wait a second, this is God's story in history. And just like Rome, America is playing a part in the history and storytelling of, of Christ's narrative right and we're that in. story goes but all the way but
1: we're a subplot
0: we're a subplot and absolutely and so then yeah. it zooms and it's like well you know and this is why i think our eschatology gets so messed up too because i think our eschatology does the same thing where it only sees a small part of the narrative and so it either escapes from the reality that we're currently in and only looks and says um it, it's in revelation and it's like but it's not in genesis or it's it's there, but it's not currently happening here in time and space. Instead of like God started telling a story at the creation of the world and he is working out through time that whole story. And so when we start telling history and we start understanding our national identity, we need to understand it in the context of the story that God is telling. So you can't get here right. to America apart from the Reformation. Well, you can't get to the part from the Reformation apart from Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. You can't get to, right? right and you can't get to Paul's ministry to the Gentiles apart from what's happening for the children of Israel in Egypt. And you can't get to that apart right. from what God did with Abraham. And you can't talk about Abraham apart from what happened in Genesis with Adam, Adam and Eve. And so when we forget these narrative pieces, we become very much disconnected. And this is what maybe – and maybe I'm not using disconnected right, but maybe that's, uh for the lack of a better way to say it, but we become disconnected. Why we feel disconnected from the whole is because we don't have a true historical connection to Adam and the narrative that goes right. all the way through time to our current time and space, and we tell the story from such a limited perspective of history – that it's like, yeah, you're disconnected because you don't have the whole narrative of history to be able to tell the story from,
1: right? And and this is why, um, the, so and it's one of the reasons that our kids so easily fall away. They don't feel like they're losing that much, but right? they don't feel like they're wow. losing the entire history of the world, right? Which is what actually happens if you if you when the devil comes along and dislodges a Christian kid from the church, he's losing the history of the world
0: okay time out you just said That's something story you just said right? something that and I'm gonna poke at this bear. this is so important you said when the devil comes through and dislodges a Christian kid from right like like that right there from the church from the church, it, from the church right, you, yeah you you First of all, starting with a framework that most people don't even have. These kids to them aren't in a Christian. <laughs> That's right.
1: I forget I forget about this. You
0: you can't, right? Like right. so what you just said yeah, yeah, yeah. is already dislodgement. Right. Like this is right. super so important.
1: We, right. So often parents are the ones that begin the dislodgement and the devil comes in and just says, Hey, there's an easy crack. I'll plant some seeds right there and let them grow and watch the roots, crack, crack the cement. And and then I get this brick, you know, I get, I get to take this stone over here and build my kingdom with it. And I'm taking it from the, from the church. J- Jason, um, this
0: is so important because when we're talking about identity, I know that, and I, I'm not trying to be funny about this at all, but the, a lot of people are talking, well,
1: this is, this is deadly serious,
0: deadly serious. The children, mm-hmm have always been identified as part of that Christian narrative. There has never been a time in history where the kids were not a part of that. You know, you go back to the children of Adam and Eve, they were part of that.
1: Yeah. So the, the way that we see our kids, I think is, is evidence of our our own dislodgement from history. Right. So that uh, we have been dislodged from history by secularism, right? We, we have been Gnosticism is, you know, secularism, Gnosticism is a belief that we, that history is part of the problem that, and that salvation is an ahistorical or an, a, is a separation from history. We, we are, um, and, uh, uh, and so when we look at our kids, we literally look at them as aliens, uh, a, right we we are aliens, we do not fit here this we do not have a uh, we we don't have a citizenship here, and then we look at our kids and say, and we birth some more aliens right we birth some more citizenshipless um beings uh and then uh and then they go hunting for a citizenship and the the citizenship's on offer. Our national citizenships, tribal citizenships uh ethnic citizenships mm. there there there's plenty on offer, and we and, and sometimes you get Christian families that think well i'll offer them my family citizenship, and maybe that will be enough right um but what but they're actually being offered a cosmic citizenship by Jesus. Right, a well, place in the the universe, the historic, the the universe, the the universe of the world, and and um,
0: but a family, a family citizenship the, a, is tied to what? Because that's important. Because people say, "Well, I'll give them a family citizenship," but that family citizenship is is not its own, is in its own ether. It's tied to a citizenship. From somewhere right. else, so
1: it, it should be right. But yeah, but, but what does Jesus say? I got a sword for right. He says I've got a sword for your family. Right. He's he says I've come with the sword, and he's talking about cutting up the families, right? Because they they have taken the family, the, the uh, family, and made an, a family idolatry that being a part of the family is is the um, super identity, or is the, you know. And he says I've come to cut that up. Um, so uh, the, it so even even the family uh citizenship is not enough right the um it, it, but but right. when paul comes along right he he says now that you've all been now that this family has been cut up into pieces let's rebuild it right by the gospel right let's resituate it into what it actually is right it is the historical outworking of how God brings new New people into the world, right? The the family is the the formational, the moral formational self, right? It's it's how people are made. Um, in and of itself, it's fallen and needs to be saved, right? But it doesn't change what it is when it gets saved, right? It becomes what it's supposed to be, right? It becomes the that moral formational people making institution. That um, that uh, brings new citizenship, new citizens into existence. This is something that the ancient world got right. It it talked about what's the purpose of the family to form citizens. Mm. Right, it makes more citizens. Right, right. The difference is in the ancient world, what they meant by, by citizen was either um, an, a national identity or a um, a. Imperial identity, right? So when they talk citizens, often they meant empire, right? Citizens of the empire, but those are, you know, uh, those are just, uh, you know, imperialism is just like nationalism, successfully forcing everyone else into their nation. I mean, so um, you, so the, but they were, they're right that that's the, and and so the when paul picks up the word the word paideia which is the citizen forming it's the citizen forming um use of the family right and he says but now you're forming them into the paideia of god right now you're forming citizens of the kingdom that's that's what christian families do that um they form citizens of the kingdom it's no longer the paideia of rome or the paideia of greece or the paideia of athens right they, um That Mm. word paideia that Paul uses, it's the citizen formation um, function that the family has. He just picks it up and he says, that's what Christian families do. They form citizens of God's kingdom.
0: Okay, time out, time out.
1: citizens of the empire of the king of kings.
0: But in order for you to believe that, you have to believe something about the kingdom right now. Right? Like, you have to believe something about the god's kingdom actively pre- actively present here right now k- being in being in formation right, right? you so otherwise then whatever yes. you're doing th- what are these kids? what ki- what ki- what that kingdom that? what kingdom i don't see nothing <laughs> right. oh yeah, yeah see yeah, no, you're okay. talking okay. like everybody believes that but you okay, i get what you're saying you, you see what i'm saying like but the, no, otherwise because <laughs> no one I do. the part God. of the problem is like there ain't no kingdom here it's not happening
1: right, as though we're still we're waiting we're that, that the kingdom that i mean use i I do know like in dispensationalism, Jesus tried to bring in the kingdom and failed, and then he's coming back that's old school, I know the new dispensationalists don't believe that no but um, but, the, but the, king- the old school dispensationalists, yeah um and so so the kingdom becomes something. Something non kingdomy, um, it, non covenantal, non—it's some other sort of. It, it has a, di- a completely different sort of nature. Um, see, Jason, I feel and, like we're just now. Know, getting I don't see. It. I don't see that scripturally. Yeah. I don't see that in the Bible.
0: Yeah, I feel like we're actually getting. Um, man, you're right. It's going to take a bunch of these. I feel like we're actually getting to the 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 core of identity, which is. You know, we were talking about this, and you're like, "Oh, it's existentialism, another form of its dislodgment." But this is going back to, man, we are, and I'm trying not to. I'm just say straight up, I'm trying not to defend like some of my Baptist brothers and sisters in this because I really do appreciate them, and so this is not a poke at all. But when you don't focus in on that Genesis story and narrative right and you don't um understand intent the the goal the outcome and then you move through as if something has switched about the world right <laughs> and then you start applying um that type of switch about the covenant all of a sudden to the rest of the world you dislodge yourself unintentionally which is exactly yeah. what Kierkegaard yeah. did, right? Like, that's exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. And and so I, it seems like that our problems of identity that we're trying to get at are all going back to the intent of the story and what we understand about the place we're currently in in that story. Because when you start talking about kids right. of birth for the kingdom, it's like – uh. Which where 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 they go? I don't see. where's where's that happening? That's not here right now. That's somewhere else. And so then they don't fit into this. You you start dislodging not just your kids at this point, but every person that comes into the Christian world, you already dislodge them. By the story you tell them that they're in where they're currently at right now, and that has to do with some of your eschatological perspectives, right? Um, <laughs> you just
1: right. It, it, it feel like. But it go ahead. And it, 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 it and it goes oh, it, it goes all the way down. I gotta oh, unlock the door for Marcus.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's welcome.
1: Oh, nice. I'm still with David, so. What's up, David? Marcus? <laughs> Are we live? Yeah. Oh my bad. No, (laughs) No, that's
0: good. He's like, "Are we live? Um, No, we're not live, but we're recording."
1: What's up, (laughs) bro? We're recording. We're not live. So, (laughs) but but this is this is where, like the the effect that if we tell if we tell a story about the universe that Jesus is not the main character of, right? If we've got it, then we we have certain sorts of problems. But if we try to tell a different – a story about a different universe than the one Jesus is Lord over, we end up with this problem, mm. right? And so that that's where us and you know Baptists and Charismatics and everyone, we all look at it, the story and we say, Jesus is the main character. Everyone says amen. That's why we can come together under the mm. story mm. and why – Baptists and Presbyterians and Charismatics and they, they, all, all, the, all the Christians, we should be able to get together and worship and, and work these things out as inter-people inter problems, right, that we're, we're working on together. Because we all agree on the fact that Jesus is the main character of the story. What we're trying to figure out how to do is is come to an agreement on what universe <laughs> the story is told in. And that's where the disagreement is right now. Right. And and that should be a disagreement we should have amongst brothers. Right. 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 We look at it. um, But when it becomes when it when we let our tribal identities, our um, our ethnic identities, our linguistic identities, you know, uh, pop up over above the the story, then we can't have the conversations, but we should be able to. But we see, um, we see in the way this that uh, we we see the disagreements about what kind of universe God created in these sorts of moments. Like so, did Jesus when Jesus saves the family, yeah. is it restored to the way to the to the pre devil got involved and messed it all up family. Right. Cause it, cause John says, Jesus came to undo the works of the devil. Does that include the things he messed up in the family? Right. So when Adam and Eve had their first child, if they hadn't fallen, would they have to wait around to, for him to decide whether or not he was going to serve the Lord or not? Mm. Or, were, or would they be birthing human beings that were in fellowship with God? Right. That's the, that's the uh, that's the kind of question we're asking. What kind of place is this? What did the devil mess up? Um, and, and what did the
0: gospel and, restore? And,
1: and what does the gospel restore? Right. So, um, I mean, this is, it, it, and it it goes all the way from the top, right? Like we were talking about the story of our nation, right? If we discover that our nation has sin, does it throw our identity out of whack? Well, if it does, then we're trying to let the nation be a, a a super identity rather than our baptism, rather than Jesus, rather than our nation being a subplot in the story. We're we're acting like our nation is the main point and Jesus is a subplot.
0: Okay. So then take this and, to the it's church, the
1: same with our personal identity, our family identity and our church identity.
0: Okay. That's why I wanted to go next. I want to take this to the church because you don't just have the nation that is sending at one point here in America, you actually have the church that is doing the exact same thing in one way or another that the nation is doing. Right. right. And so, um, so when, when you start getting that kind of identity, um, failure, right? You call it failure of the church identity at that point. Um, yeah. Yeah. The the, th- the thing that you want to come in and do is, is you want to say, um, well, what do you, what do you, how do you solve that problem? When you, when you reestablish the identity of the church after it's gone through what we've seen it go through here in America.
1: Right. So I think, um, you know, the, you know, we could use, I think the Presbyterian church is a good example, right? Where you've got, Um, there were Presbyterian churches that were not, um, that didn't uh, become, you know, when the abolitionists in the slavery abolitionists started saying, Hey, guess what? We need to um, quit treating these people like they're less than human. And there were Presbyterian churches that resisted that, that prophetic voice of the abolitionist movement.
0: Strongly Um, resisted. Yeah.
1: And we look back and strongly resisted. Right. And, we look back and we say, "Man, that's a sin." If we do anything other than say, whew, "Sure, I'm glad Jesus died for us. Right? Lord, forgive us for that sin," um, and it throws our identity into into question, or we think, "I should switch denominations because this denomination is a sinful denomination," right? Then we are thinking tribally about our identity, our church identity, and not as if. The, the story of the American church or the story of American Presbyterian church is a subplot in the greater story of Jesus's recovery of mankind from the clutches of the devil. Mm. Right? Of course, our denominations are sinful. Why would we be surprised to find that out? And why would we do anything with our shame except Bring it to the foot of the cross. Okay. Right? So whether it's corporate shame or individual shame, right? What do we do with shame? Well, Jesus died naked on the cross for our shame. We bring it to the foot of the cross and we say, thank you, Lord, for taking this shame too.
0: I think that what the what you have people saying now is that that broken form of identity has created structures in society that have affected how other people live with their identities And so the problem that we have is that we have created a domino effect of sin throughout the culture because of a broken identity that keeps people in a particular place in society because of it.
1: Right. And if the solution being offered is a, a revolutionary solution where you say, well, okay, let's take this ideal and we'll force it on to everyone and we'll solve this problem that took generations to create. Then we are thinking, then we're just going to cause more and more existential despair everywhere, right? If it's a generational problem, then we should expect a generational solution, right? so how do you and, and um, so the church what it should do is say who forgive us for that lord um pray that you would you would begin the process of undoing structural problems right you so structures are his, built historically they're also rebuilt historically right mm. you can't just suddenly say well, here's a here's a new structure we'll drop it in from the top i mean they try to do that in communist Russia, and then they almost all starved to death, right? Because of, of the, what they did, right? And you had the, um, the same thing, you know, in Cambodia, right? They, they said the, we need structures that no longer take advantage of the working class. So they dropped new structures in and then they ended up having to eat rats because they couldn't get enough rice. Right. It's a, it's a, a, When the state tries to play God and fix it, you get um, the kind of, you know, you you, you get the kind of things that idols do, right? They destroy you, right? Um, They can't save us. Jesus is the only one that can save us. And so if we've got structural problems, we need to turn to Jesus and say, we need you to, you know, we we need you to fix this, right? Um, and, And it's a historic, but but avoiding the the being a part of the story, right? Because God is saving the world through us, you know, as a, in history. He's not a, a historical God. He doesn't drop in solutions that are not that a historical, He he's saving us through the Holy spirit's work within us that restores us that works its way out, restores the world, right? He, um, we, we can't expect to have, Trees full of fruit w- without planting and plowing and growing and, you know, trusting the Lord to bring the increase.
0: So then it seems like that you, you, <laughs> I think most people when they're having this conversation are trying to argue the institutions one way or the other. And it seems like what you're saying is, oh, it's, it's very possible that these institutions, you lose your identity of who you are or you, you, believe in a form of displacement of your identity and what you get is, uh, dis uh, the lack of human, human flourishing, right? Like, so that's part of what happens. Right. So, yeah. so if you, if you believe in a form of displacement, you don't believe the history that you're attached to, then of course what you get throughout time and space is human displacement, uh, a false form of it, and you get this lack of humanity in Culture, community, nations, right? And so, what you need to do if you you have,
1: yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead.
0: So, what you need to do then is, you say, okay, then, you know, Jason, maybe this has gotten away from us because of the fact that we don't actually deal with Earth and creation more like we should. We deal with digital machines and hardware, so we expect these. If I plug this in there, then it's like a. A machine and just put spits it out and it's done, right? Like, I just write the code and it works, boom. But God's world isn't quite made like that. It's historical, like you were saying. And so, um, mm-hmm. it, over time in space, in time and space, and over time, being faithful produces a certain type of fruit, just like being unfaithful has produced judgment and curses faithfulness over time so you don't even argue the institutions are, have problems of being corrupt you argue that for the most part it's like yeah that's corrupt and faithfulness over time being a part of the history that you're in produces a for a certain form of faithful institutions that come from that right. and so uh,
1: right. if you're surprised that a bunch of that that secularism in America has produced a bunch of racist institutions, then you have no idea that you shouldn't be allowed anywhere near the, the team that tries to fix it. (laughs) Of course, secularism produced a bunch of broken institutions. I mean, or has been breaking a bunch of institutions maybe that were intended in a certain way and, and they failed at their intent. Right. But if that surprises you, then, um, then, you know, uh, I'm going to I can sell you a piece of the moon for a really good deal, mm. right? Right. <laughs> of course, of course secularism produced these sorts of problems, systematic problems within our institutions. It tried to save us with systematic rebuilding of our institutions. So it's going I mean it, that that's what idols do, right? When idols try to when when idols offer salvation, they fail. And and so we're at the we're at the back end of that though because we bought into the idolatry, and so we're at the back end as we're ghosts bouncing along, identityless ghosts bouncing along, uh, the you know half half a half a foot off the ground, no connection to the earth, no connection to the cosmos, no connection to our own history, no connection to uh, our our tribal or uh, our our, tri- our real tribal identities, our ethnic identities, but this is what. This is why I was so upset about the Juneteenth stuff. Yeah, right. This is what made because you say that's, that is you uh, that you look at the setor, secular fe- federal government and say that's not yours. Mm. That is and and the calendar uh, a, a celebration on the calendar is an ethnic marker an ethnic identity marker. And for the, so for the government to pretend it can give you one of those is to try and establish that coexist style secularism that says Mm. your Juneteenth celebration has to be a subplot in our story. Mm. Right. It's not, it's a subplot in Jesus, story. So back the hell off.
2: (laughs) Mm. Right. (laughs) right. That's the,
1: um, the, 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 um, ethnic, collective calendar self uh, that that we have as a as a people as an uh, is is not something that should that story is a story that fits as a subplot in Jesus's story so the only safe place for it is in Jesus's hands the only safe place for it it should be in the church's hands right the, the church should be able to exist as a multi multi-ethnic, a group of people because every ethnic group, every ethnic story is a subplot in Jesus's story. That's why in the Book of Revelation he says all the people groups are gathered here, right? Because they're all so. And, and um, and we should acknowledge it in our education, right? We should be able to say, "Hey, we, we got a school over here that is." Northern European. And so they study Northern European history and they rejoice in it. And we've got this school over here that is North African. And so they're studying North African history. They're rejoicing in it. And when the two come together, it's a storytelling, it's a, it's a storytelling fest. You say, Oh my gosh, let me tell you what Jesus is doing in our ethnic group. Mm. You tell us what Jesus is doing in your ethnic group. And then we'll sing together and we'll be bad at it. Cause we, our languages don't fit together real well. But when the, 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 uh, the, that ability to rejoice in our own ethnic group is safe inside, uh, when it, when it is a subplot in Jesus's story, when we try and make it the, the story, this, this, the meta story, the super story, the super identity, um, then it, that's dangerous for everyone, including our own ethnic group. Um, but the, but that's where, that's where, uh, where it's safe right we should have christian schools all over the world teaching local history teaching ethnic histories um you know and uh, the, their own ethnic histories and then um being able to then share swap stories and you know now ethnic groups are mixing at a really high rate which is fun and exciting right so we can share one another's stories and but in christ all of it is is the um, is is Jesus's right. All of it is Jesus's story. All of it is subplots of Jesus's story. And that's what we are after is that ability to have no rivalries, no ethnic rivalries, so that we can tell one another stories and rejoice and enjoy. And, I mean, enjoy one another's stories.
0: Yeah, because when we say when we see these two, F it's almost like two different gangs on the side of the road when they see each other, it's like it's gonna be blood, you know, it's gonna be gonna fight. Instead of being like, right. "Ooh, yeah. what y'all do over there? What did Jesus do for y'all's group? Oh, what did Jesus do yeah. for y'all's group?" And so we look at it more as a rivalry because we're trying to figure out which of these tribes are going to be at the top and which one is going to be submissive right. to the other. <laughs>
1: right. Right. Yeah. We we look at it and we think we think in terms of power. Um, rather than thinking in terms of, I mean, joyful, you know. Rather than looking at each other and saying, "Oh man, we're going to enjoy one another." this will be great. I... This is, and this is the thing. All throughout history, this is this is how missions. This is this is how missions worked. Right. The reason that we have a bunch of Icelandic stories um is because mis- Christian missionaries went up to a people that didn't have a written language. That's right. And they sat down, they got to know them, they told them their stories and they were like, these are great. So they recorded them in letters and they sent them back to the Mediterranean and said, "Oh my gosh, these people are wonderful. You're going to love them." Uh we, uh you know there and um the 20 the 18th 19th century mission movements, you have uh Men that learn about the Chinese, and they say, "Oh my gosh, those people seem amazing right and so they get in boats and they go over there and they begin sharing the gospel um because they've fallen in love with the chinese people right they that that's uh we we have a um you know we have this idea um that somehow the reason that uh that that missionaries were um you know, they were they they oh man what's it, what's it called when they go out and they force everyone into their
0: imperialistic
1: imperialistic or you know um and they were they were imperialistic for jesus right they were they were the 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 emperor was jesus and there is room for every nation tribe people tongue family within the empire empire of jesus and it's literally the only safe place for, for an ethnicity, for a language group. It's the only safe place for a tribe because Jesus, because the gospel is the salt of the earth that preserves those things, right? The, the, uh, the, the language groups that become Christian say or survive, right? The, the ethnicities that become Christian, they survive, right? Those things become preserved by the gospel. The one, the, the Aztecs, they, you know, they resist Jesus. They, and they disappear. And and it's it's sad, you know. You should the that I, I wonder what uh, that Aztec culture was like before they started pulling out human hearts and eating them, um, you know. But it's gone now because they did they they didn't want to be preserved. They didn't care about their own um, uh, people group enough to want to be preserved if it meant submitting to Jesus.
0: You know, I I feel like that if we don't start figuring out this identity thing as it relates to um christians whether you know you you pick the denomination I, and i've always mm-hmm. i've always figured i've always made this battle on baptism because there isn't a more stronger bond between another human being than baptism not blood right. not skin color covenant trumps all that and if right. and and if we can't you know, I've I've watched churches reject each other based off of what they consider to be an authentic or inauthentic baptism. Won't let each other have communion with each other because of how they view. I don't care in one sense or another um, uh, over the infant baptism argument, because the conversation that people are having about infant right. baptism is not the one that I'm having at all. I'm having a fellowship conversation. Right, right. I'm having a kinship conversation. I'm having a human conversation about baptism (laughs) that is transcending the whole conversation so that if one can look at another person who has confessed Jesus and says, well, you had less water than I had to do this, then therefore you are not allowed to eat at the table with me or to be in fellowship with me at our congregation that person has disregarded the very identity that they say they're marked with themselves. (laughs) Right. Um, Right. And, and so, or, you know, the, the, that bond, if we can't figure that out, that, that mark to come into fellowship with each other around those things, then I don't see how we get to the root of the problem of identity. Right. Like that's the, that, that, when I think that, Go ahead.
1: Well, and I think that's the thing is we're, we don't realize what conversation we're in because we're letting the world set the terms, right? We, we have, um, and this is, this is what I mean by we need to come to Jesus and say, we have bankrupted the account, right? We have bankrupted the identity account. And um, rather than saying, well, uh, what is um, was like we we've sort of become that seeker sensitive movement. What are what are people worried about? What are people's questions? What are people's felt needs right now? Well, identity is one of them. Oh, okay. Your identity is in Jesus, and we try to respond to the felt needs rather than saying, "Okay, what are the terms? What are the terms?" Uh, what are the terms of the conversation well the terms of the conversation are absolute submission to your emperor Jesus that are the, those are the terms everything else I, um so so what what does he say about identity what does the bible say uh, about identity and it's not what we expect because the bible does is not a is is not concerned with uh, um the living experience of our own self-awareness the way we are. Right. We have already given in, uh, we've given up all the terms of the things that God says offer our, our, us, our identity. We've already given them all over. Mm. Right. And, and we've allowed secularism to be the overarching story trying to, um, create subplots of everything else. But it's, it's like every idol. It, it, devours and doesn't give back and that's what secularism has done to every identity marker that god has given us and told us to rejoice in it's devoured them and it gives nothing back and so we and and and, um you know we're going to be what we're going to see is a, a major growth of things like um you know the uh the ethnic identity groups that offer you know um KKK uh, black nationalist party, black Hebrew Israelites, the um, Trumpianism skinheads, <laughs> you know, we're going to see yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so, in the, and then on the other side, you've got that nationalist offer of identity where it's almost a religious devotion to Trump, a, a religious devotion to Biden, right? You see this Republican, Democrat, somebody yeah. votes different than you, right. They're a different kind of person than you. Um, you know, I, I've, I've met um you know met Christians that that voted different than me and find out and they're like I don't have a category for you man because I voted differently than you what I don't understand and it and this is people that you know cuz I, I was registered independent and I've been writing in Thomas Sowell for president for years and years right like the um the the people that they they just say My their identity is so wrapped up in their political party in in, at that national federal level um, that they that they have a hard time when they find out somebody didn't vote like them. They have a hard time having fellowship with them as Christians.
0: Man, you know the other place I Uh, see this at.
1: It's 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 at all different places.
0: I see this right now happening in the um the abolitionist movement. It's it's a little. Frightening, to be honest with you, because I see them where if you're not completely identify with them in every point, you are the enemy all of a sudden. And I, you know, it, it's been really interesting to watch because I have friends over there who are in the movement that I'm like, I I completely agree with them. And yet I know that the way that God moves through time and space in history is sanctification based. Right. It happens. Over time and space. And it doesn't, and that's not saying that, Hey, I want to only get a little bit of this. No, I want the whole kit and caboodle. That's what I'm going after. I want the whole kit and caboodle. Right. And I'm going to get it as we move faithfully in the direction that God has given us, right? I'm going to get all of that. And that, and abortion is going to be illegal here in America. And we're going to save millions of babies along the way. And I'm not changing right. my perspective, but, um, having a, I don't even like using an incremental approach. Have an approach of sanctification uh, in God's world become something that is outside of identity markers of Christian. And so then they treat you in a very weird way. And I've seen that in the same sense where I've become not lenient, but I've, be, I've had a different perspective of people who I know that are good, solid Bible-believing Christians who love Jesus, and then they vote Democrat. Right. Like I remember the conversation right. wasn't too long ago where can you be a Christian and vote Democrat? And just that question right. has changed what how we identify a Christian.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> like, right. You you have you, you're 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 putting some other marker besides faith and baptism, right? Besides right word and spirit, some other marker and, um, uh, at that, at that super identity level. And that's right. where, um, you know, we, we need, we need the stories of all of history, um, that, you know, where you, that show you like, oh man, we've fallen off the horse on every possible way, every possible side mm, and picks and dip, us back yeah. up and puts us back on. Right. Yeah. Right. That we and, and at this point, we ha- We have so bankrupted it all that we need to stop and say. Where are the things that? What are the things that God has told me to rejoice in, that are identity markers, that are gonna, that are not my ultimate identity, right? That are that are sub sub identity markers, and he, and he's told me to say thank you for them, right? Rather than we. You, you can't say thank you for something you're trying to turn into an idol yeah right because you're saying please to it right? you, you can't say please to something um, that you, you can't turn around and say thank you f- to God for this thing and then expect it to also be God. Right? the thankfulness is the is the beginning. Um, but you know if, if somebody else is saying thank you for an identity marker that God has given them and it feels like a threat, Right? You've turned something into an idol, right if somebody's saying, "Man, my mom makes really great cookies, and you're like, Oh yeah, right you've turned then yeah um you're you, there's plenty of room for different moms that all make great cookies, yeah, and uh, all of our, all of these sub identities are those sorts of things, and what we have said is unless it's our ultimate identity, I don't want anything to do with it but that's a that's a secularist mindset that's a gnostic mindset that doesn't love and appreciate history that doesn't love and appreciate our own story as sub-narratives subplots within the story of Christ's ultimate uh ultimate salvation of all things putting of all things all putting all things right
0: well I just made so many people mad just talking about (laughs) somebody being a democrat I
1: know I know
0: I I know it's just I I can just hear it right now because I know and I I think and I don't disagree with all
1: just so you know you not me
0: right right but and he, well and well and here's here's what I'm getting at we have brothers
1: I don't have I don't have that much <laughs> I don't I don't have that kind of tri- tribal capital I don't have that kind no. of social capital that you do so.
0: I have a lot of tribe <laughs> but here's I I want and I'll just just to make everybody else mad there are brothers and sisters who I believe are true Christians who would have completely denied the humanity of myself. Right. And I think that oh, and, right. and and they're sitting in heaven right now wrong. Right? <laughs> like, because I'm not willing to right. make their faith a work in order for them to be saved. That's something God does to people, regardless if they like it or not. Right. Like, he saves them and, and he saves yeah. them totally. And even he saves and he corrects them um you know no, either in their glorification or here in the process of their sanctification. And so we want to have on the conservative side people who we adore and love who had wrong positions in history that had that were very solid Bible believing brothers and sisters that got some things really wrong. And then we want to say that, hey, these people right. are they're there and we can overlook all of these other areas um because we get the understanding of, you know, they're in our tribe. So therefore we cover them. Right. Right. <laughs> right because we've made one thing over exactly
1: the the problem
0: and instead of saying "and say well hold on a second there's other people over here that have the same identity markers in you that are not in your tribe that are actually your brothers so you can still have conversation with them you can still engage with them you can still love them and say hey you know brother and really mean it you're really wrong on this let me work with you and tell you what universe we're in what story we're in so that you can see this right and come to a place of repentance and sanctification in the process but what we do is we completely remove the mark off of them in the process
1: yeah and here's the thing it's like um when when you actually get into real relationships with christians in different tribal groups than you uh you what you discover is there are things that you can't see on the back of your own head that they're going to be right about. And I think that is often the That's reason true. that we, that we don't want to enter into the conversation, right? Is because we're going to end up cause they're sitting over there saying like, man, you know what those Presbyterians got wrong and they're right about some of those things. Yeah. And you know, when because, like, so here's the deal. I had a son or my, my wife went into preterm labor with one of our sons and when I when I needed prayer, I didn't call my Presbyterian brothers, right? I called my charismatic friends, right? Because so, I knew that they would actually pray when I asked for it, right? So you call them <laughs> and pray when you need prayer, and they say, "Oh, that's great. We're in a prayer meeting." They put the phone on speaker and they pass it around, and everybody at the prayer meeting prays immediately for us, yeah, because that's what that's the strength that they have, and I knew that, and so we—that's who I called, right? So um, there are things that it's it's. It's a two-way street in which the curse of denominations is that we have been separated from our brothers and sisters that have gifts we need
0: yeah it's right? the same way and, when um, and, I, with my Baptist brothers and my charismatic brothers too when it's time to go to war and I'm about to have a culture war I want people that are unashamed yeah. and I and I call my Baptist brothers and yeah, I call my yeah. charismatic brothers I know they're gonna stand there and my charismatics will have no problem speaking in tongues right on somebody right then there there on the spot <laughs> I might disagree but I love their boldness and the same thing with my Baptist brothers right. they're gonna stand there right, and exactly. they're gonna fight with me you know and I appreciate and I, I want that world yeah. that's why I fight yeah. so much and over and the unity spend
1: time forming a committee that they, they will form right. the, they will, the Presbyterians they go form a committee
0: they will keep the best <laughs> notes I'm gonna tell you we gonna have a great history of what happened yeah. in battle because <laughs> right. of the Presbyterians and they will yeah, exactly. now, I think Presbyterians, Presbyterians are really good at forging and making weapons for Baptists to use I'm <laughs> Just gonna say it. That's what they do. They really good at making some good, some good weapons. Baptists go use them. You know what I mean. So the Charismatics, Presbyterians are those right. guys in the ivory tower.
1: And we we keep them really, we keep them really shiny, hanging on the wall. That's so right. We well,
0: that's right. And Baptists like you gonna use <laughs> yeah. that? I'll take that and go take some heads <laughs> no, off with like, it.
1: I'll take that. Yeah. But
0: that's 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 why it's so important for me that that unity doesn't get displaced. Because of a false form and sense of identity, because we don't make this out. We don't get out of this apart from each other, man. There's just no way we get out of this apart from each other, at least the way that I'm seeing it right now. With everything that's going on, it was amazing to me to watch the social justice movement rise up, mainly because of our own messed up forms of identity, and then watching brothers come together almost ecumenically in history that I haven't seen in a very, very long time. You know, watching the statement on the social justice and the gospel be created where you got these fighting Baptists send this statement around and people are like, yeah, we need this, you know, and this unity right. that comes together. Right. Um, and it feels like what that what God does with battles and fights is he says, I'm going to make sure. And this is what I've watched in the military. All of everybody's identity comes third place when bullets are flying over the top of the head only thing that matters is who's Mm going to hand me ammo and who's going to shoot back at the bad guy and all my racial forms of identity all the other stuff you know how i felt about you don't matter when you're dragging me out of the hole or you're giving me cover fire to get to my next place and what god does in battle is purify those things that are actually essential (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that right. you know when, when you start saying man those those white boys man they got guts they'll go into the belly of the beast and those brothers say hey man you know those black brothers are fast they'll get up there and get in and out of it you right. know what I'm saying like all of a sudden you start seeing <laughs> right. these identities underneath the, the main source and unified and saying man everybody really does matter in this story <laughs> and we need them if we're going to do battle together right.
1: and you immediately see who, who will shoot you in the back too. And you realize, oh, those guys <laughs> those guys were not on my team. They were never on my team all along. Are you right? talking about Eastern Orthodox? Back, is that what you're right? saying? You
0: Eastern Orthodox, is that what you said is shooting? No. It's
1: not, no, I'm talking I'm talking about I'm talking about my people in my my own denomination, the PCA.
0: Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's even worse. Oh. Oh. Man, man. I know. That's, okay you just end right there I feel like you know you kind of cried yeah, yeah. you just just stop. So right.
1: I, I think we need to spend some some more time on this because I think we've nailed the problem, but I wanted to really talk about what the integrated self in Christ looks like and so that's what, I don't let's, even let's think go there next I
0: don't even the know if we nailed the, I don't know if we nailed the problem I think we just kind of like talked about how identity is being used right now you know and existentialism yeah, no, a little bit I think but you're right but I, there is uh, even a, a more core problem with identity because um, we can't, why is it, Jason, we just can't come to each other's churches and feel like we belong there? And maybe it's something that I'm wanting that I probably won't yeah. get until later you know, generations down when, the road. But
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, some of it is that, we, we, the thing that we depend on for to get that feeling, is the wrong thing. All right. So sometimes, you know, sometimes I think you show up at a church and you're like, I don't feel like I fit here. Well, it's because they just use a different liturgy. And if you learn the liturgy, you'll feel right at home. But and other times, um, you know, I don't know any of the songs. You know, is, uh, but then sometimes you get there and you're like, oh man, they speak a different lingo. You know, there's all sorts of reasons why you don't immediately feel like you fit in, but it's like moving into a neighborhood, where, with time, you can learn your spot in the neighborhood. Um, I don't know. Every home is a little bit different. I
0: don't know. I just I I've been here now, Moscow, for nine years. Now, let me make some caveats. (laughs) Um, I enjoy our (laughs) liturgy. I really do appreciate our liturgy. It's been the best thing that has happened to me. Is having um our liturgy hands down um and i i really do when i go other places um as much as i might complain about our liturgy at points of times when i go somewhere else i'm like i don't like this <laughs> even when i you, you know I, yeah. I, yeah even when i go to where i feel like i i belong at i miss it because it feels strong but it takes me getting out of the circles for me to feel like This is doing what it's supposed to do. So the liturgy I figured out from leaving that it's actually doing what it's supposed to do for me. I still feel displaced in it because I don't even know why, but I feel maybe it's because I just I didn't grow up with it. So growing up in a different form of charismatic church, even when I go back to charismatic churches, all my reflexes are still there. Right. And I've watched all my reflexes are still there. There's some songs There's some things that go on where, like, man, I'm there. My hands go up. You know, tears are falling out of my eyes. I'm on the floor crying out to God. And it's just like that that tradition of of that. There's something that's there now. My kids don't know what's happening. Right. Like they have no connection to that liturgy. Right. So I'm, I'm still in, I'm still outside of that liturgy, but my kids are connected to the liturgy that we're currently in so that they feel at home there. They feel this normacy. So I feel like a first generation coming to this place and I love being in America. I love America. This is great. Much more, more want to be here. And then there's still this connection to home, right? Uh, my kids don't have the same connection.
1: And you look, and you look at your kids, and and you're like, you don't even know how good you've got it. Yes, yes, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. Just and, like an because Im- because you're an immigrant, and then
0: yeah. and yet there's this point where I don't want my kids to look at where we came from and think, ugh. Like I, I want them to see yeah. that as like.
1: Go ahead. This is the what? Um, oh, what's the that. There's that book, the goal, the uh, golden something. It's about first generation Chinese, first and second generation Chinese immigrants. Golden. It's a really great novel. It'll come to me. They made a movie out of it. That's really good too.
0: I don't but need any more books
1: for the you? the Chinese. These, <laughs> no, they, you don't need to read this one. I'll just tell you about it. This the China, It's just the experience of second generation Chinese immigrants whose parents are always like wanting them to learn about China and they're like, it doesn't do me any good to know about China, right? The second gen- generation immigrants, it doesn't do me any good to know about China. The parents are like, but that's not why I want you to learn about China. Like this is your story. And it's this really powerful novel about a mother and a daughter um, wrestling through identity really when the the mother and the, the mother's identity is wrapped up in Chinese history and the, the daughter is her identity is wrapped up in American history now. Cause she went to American school. She, um, she was born in America. and Uh, and there it's, it's a, it's a beautiful novel. Um, just, but that's the, that's the question is how do you reconcile those two identities? And so she, and really, and it comes to a head because this, This uh, second-generation Chinese immigrant goes off to college and brings home a white guy. Right, interested in marrying her. Right, right. She comes home and she's like, "Hey, he," because he wants to ask her father's permission, (laughs) and so she brings him home for for a meal. And it's 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 funny, it's moving, but it's this immigrant. It's that if that issue of identity is right at the center of it. Well, Where, and this is so yeah. the mom a mom is brings out the meal and and there's this Chinese tradition that when the, the 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 plate that is she's most proud of, she identifies it by saying something negative about it, and so everybody knows that's the one to compliment. But the white guy right.
2: doesn't know yeah.
1: what's going on, and so she says this one doesn't have enough salt, and and he says well, I'll just add extra soy sauce. It'll be great. Oh, <laughs>
0: Oh, Oh,
1: and, and the whole place goes silent. And he's like, I don't know what I just did. Right. And so it's just like, it's, and so that's, what's great about the novel is it shows all the little things <laughs> that you don't see in your own culture that are identity markers that, um, and, but, but the, the thing is the church just needs to be a safe place for that. Right. Like, it's a safe place where people are so slow to be offended that they can laugh it off. Um, you know, that though so you can have those kinds of you know what it's funny things. I've told you about the potlucks yeah, down in California with the multi multi ethnic church Podlucks are so awkward.
0: Yeah, and I've enjoyed so, in a great way. I've enjoyed some. There's actually some funny videos out there with white people bring coming, getting invited to the barbecue, and they come and they bring potato salad, but yeah. they bring it with raisins in it, and black folks like, who put roaches in the potato salad? <laughs> what <are you> doing?
2: <laughs>
0: right, like, and, totally. and, and 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 so like the the beauty is that because we've. Become so politically correct with it; those kind of things aren't funny, which allows us to communicate in right. ways that we need to communicate in order for us to understand each other. So comedy is removed now from that,
1: right? And, and so, it, well, because laughing together has such a knitting effect, right? You knit, you're knit together in love by laughing together, and so much of that good humor comes from the the those like eth- ethnic, um, the, those places clashes. where like ethnically, <laughs> ethnically we clash, yeah. It's such a, it should be such a joy in the church um, to, to, and, and uh, we, but we've lost that ability to be knit together in laughter.
0: There is um, part of somebody, I was talking to somebody about this. I've seen, you know, when we talk about identity, the, because of, like I was saying, I I love our literature here. I really do, but I still don't feel it in my person naturally right um and, and the yeah. only time I I start feeling it that way is when I left it for a while right like like a, if I'm going for like right. a week or two so otherwise
1: it feels like you're 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 wearing somebody else's clothes
0: yeah I'm working I'm working into it and and because what I was brought up into was a, a different form of literature that I'm comfortable with but i've I've come to find out and I haven't and I don't um I still think there might be ways that um we can merge the two and not give up a scriptural perspective of what we're trying to do there. And I actually think if we were in a different context instead of Idaho, we might actually have some of that. Right. But since we're in Idaho and the majority of the culture is white, there is a European feel that's over the top of it. And I don't feel like one brother here all of a sudden needs to blend the, you know,
1: right. (laughs) But you know how the, uh, you know how gospel music came about, right? It's pressed, the it's the celtic presbyterian music yeah. um, be, being taught to the slaves yep and um and then uh as you know like actual black churches were founded they took that celtic presbyterian music the presbyterians walked away from the celtic aspects of their music yep right and they started singing german music
0: i should have told and you something right the,
1: there the, the <laughs> Oh, right. Yeah. So that, so they switch over to more of a German uh, music and the, the, uh, the black churches were like, no, we're keeping this. We like that music. Right. And so the, even the blue notes, right. The, so nine, nine notes instead of seven and um, the notes between the notes, all that's Celtic stuff. And they took the, the, the Celtic music and they added the um, the, the rhythmic, the the rhythmic music that they brought over from Africa, but also sang, um, you know, in the fields and things. They took the rhythmic aspects and then the Celtic uh, melodies, and they combined them together, and you got gospel music. Yeah, and I think one of the most glorious musics that the world has ever seen, and it's it's a multi ethnic music, and you because th- of the gospel,
0: you get this, um, and. This is why you know you, those shanties really resonate. I think with me is that mm-hmm. they sound very familiar, like they're because you got you got this yep. island sound that's coming in too, a part of that as well. Because you got all the slaves that are coming up from, um, the, uh, the islands right, as well, right. and so and so that's all blending together. And so when you start hearing this Celtic music with this backbeat, all of a sudden you're like, this feels familiar you know and and you when yeah. i hear it i'm like man yeah. i so that's why some of the shanties that really give me as well as some of the um some of the scottish the 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 chants like they they are like they're commonplace yep. rhythmically i'm like oh i feel this one like yeah i just put a little <laughs> <laughs> and we're we're perfect like it's just and so I can feel some of those. And
1: it's the call and response to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the yeah, call yeah, response in there and, That's yeah. what
0: makes me so mad. I think sometimes when, when people are, they don't know, when they look at black churches and they see black churches and they don't get the call and response stuff, that really makes me upset because I'm like, you don't understand. The call and response was very much a Presbyterian thing. Like that was... Right. That was <laughs> so. That's something that we well, should. And, and, the, the,
1: and that's like the ancient church too. Like you go all the way back. Well, yeah, you find that's the right. Call and response stuff. That's how they read so it, almost. It, so <laughs> the white the white church walked away from the call and response, and and uh, but the spirit. Keeps everything alive. That's what it does. So,
0: it, that was a form of education for people who couldn't read, was call and response, right? That was how they got it. So, it was an educational yeah. tool. Yeah. And it's one like, and which is, which is makes sense why if slaves would start using it, <laughs> right? Okay. You got somebody who can read and who can teach. It's a yeah. call and response. Yeah. This is how we learn those things. And it became something culturally how we treat our, how we um, teach our kids. So, in the black church, you know, we bring our kids up to sing a solo with us and we would sing the part and then make our kids sing the part right after us. Right. And we would teach them. And so oh,
1: that's amazing. And, and the yeah. same
0: in the same way with choirs we had, you know,
1: that's how you learned it.
0: That's how you learn what?
1: That's how you learned uh, in the in the African drum groups I was in. That's how you learned it, too. The Guy would go up front. He'd play the part and you'd, you'd play it back to him. And if you got it wrong, then you were out. <laughs> See, it, You had to go back to the back of the line and yeah, work your way back forward.
0: That's that's just a part of the culture. One of the things that I've seen, like, so I've seen in classical, they'll still do some of the call and response as they're teaching. But what we did, you know, was that after we had formed our choirs, the choirs would be trained so well that the soloist would call and response the choir and they had never sung the parts before So that the choir would then repeat because they were trained so well in call and response that it didn't matter what the soloist or the choir director would say. They could hit those parts even in three part, four part harmony without ever having practiced that before. (laughs) And the congregation became just as. Uh, Vocal as the choir So that the congregation sounded like Another choir what the choir So when the call and response happened It was just (laughs) this unified choir singing together And it was just like uh, Anyway i misses some of that A lot
1: (laughs) Just like a a preview Of heaven
0: Which is why we have to We really do have to figure out how to merge those two things Because we gotta practice What it's gonna be like When we're together in yeah, in that choir. Yep. Yeah, it's gonna happen. So, man, you just open up a can of worms. We didn't even in two and a half hours and even get to.
1: It, it's it happens.
0: I don't know. I don't know how to have this conversation. Yeah, this
1: one's gonna take a little while.
0: I think I don't know how to have this conversation without picking picking moments or picking things out and say, this is existentialism. Right. Like that's the, this is existentialism and this is how it's existential. Um, and this is how he's trying to, this is the version in which he's trying to solve it. And this is how you really should solve it. I, you kind of have to have.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. Well, I'll start looking for some things like that, some specifics. Let's say, here's what I'm talking about. Here's what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah. Because I don't, I was then, trying to figure out then, something in know, churches, but.
1: But I think like even like cause a huge part of it is reentering the great conversation that humanity has been having. Yes. Like, like we, we, we try to solve like we, I think everybody thinks like I can just drop my opinion. They can be completely uninformed, but it's just as valid as anyone else's opinion. Um, <laughs> That's social media right That you get And you get You get uh, uh, Subsidized for that In social media right Um, And how you know To Say well actually There's a wise and a foolish way To share your opinion
0: But you know what though Jason Or
1: even what is an opinion We could talk about that
0: But but that even gets to the point of What you were talking about with Uh oh he left me I'm gonna say it Anyway, There you go. But that even gets to the point where you were talking about, this is why I think that, man, we need to, you know what we need to do, Jason? we got to go back to the Trinity. I mean, Michael Reeves on the Trinity might be where we need to go yeah. because the economic realities and the ontological realities of, of uh, the world are something that we need to have a conversation with because the reason everybody's opinion is important is because if their economic realities aren't all the same, then their ontological realities are all different.
1: All over the map,
0: yeah right, so if if you're if you have something that actually is more valid than what I say, then we just switched up our ontological realities
1: right, yeah, no, you're right,
0: and so we have to really go i ever since you said that when it comes to globalism, that is actually the place that we're in, especially as it relates to existentialism and identity. Our identities are all based in our economic realities right. And so we feel like somebody who has a more valid or who whoever the experts are. And which is the only reason that we have gotten out of 2020 somewhat is because of that pushback it's like oh the experts oh the experts it's like yeah there's no such yeah. thing as experts I'm the expert it's like wait hold on time out uh <laughs> yeah. I mean like yeah. I, I'm with you they have
1: a bunch of false experts that have been taking bribes of millions of dollars in order to, that's one thing to yeah. say there are no experts yeah it's a whole other
0: thing but the, but for better or worse it's kind of been like yeah I don't like experts anyway and So right. <laughs> right and so
1: that's one that's are the dangers of populism like populism has it, it's a big blessing in certain contexts, but man, it's got its temptations. <laughs> well, yeah, and we're in a populist uprising all throughout the world right now.
0: Well, and that's that's when some of some of us don't mind using that because we don't have another weapon to be able to fight the enemy at hand. So we use their own weapons in order to try and be able to fight, you know, these enemies. And so when you right. you get right. when populism works for you, we don't mind using it. Because that's all we got. And so right. it's like, yeah, you're going to let experts tell you how to rule your life. And it's like, no, nah, I sure ain't going to let no expert yeah. tell me how to rule my life. And so let's get rid of them. And it's like, wait, time out. Um, I don't want an expert yeah. who, like you said earlier, is taking it's, bribes.
1: It's, it's <laughs> Paul appealing to Caesar, right? It's Paul yeah. appealing to Caesar. Every once in a while, you're like, I should appeal to the population. Or Jesus, you know... Um, about the resurrection, talking about the resurrection with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and getting them like yeah <laughs> to fight one another so we can slip out
0: yeah and and we got I think that's why those the the Trinity, if we get the Trinity right, that's one thing right, it's one thing to get the Trinity right, it's a whole other thing than to apply a Trinitarian ideology and worldview to reality and then operate. Yeah. So those two worlds are so disconnected, and once you get those two worlds disconnected, there is a domino effect from thinking without Trinitarian realities,
1: right? Yeah, and I think that's, that's, that's where we've got to go. That's where we've got to go next.